Welcome back to yet another episode of Soda Speak. Oh, another one. Great. We are the uploading weekly content. We are the most annoying nerds you'll ever hear. Yeah. I'm Evan Mead. I'm Lyle Groninger. And we've got... So, Cody, you fixed your time machine. Yeah, it's been a while. Welcome back. Yeah. It's not, it's not been a while. I was talking board games like two weeks ago. Unless, I guess, I guess, or I guess two weeks is a long time. I don't know. <laughs> it, feels, it feels like a long time. We give him his okay. own okay. show and look, and he runs off to mm-hmm. go do that. I become a cocky asshole, a pretentious, a just, <laughs> I just become so pretentious that I ditch you guys. Underrated movies. It's a much bigger topic or a bigger universe. Um. It became part of a bigger universe that we just didn't know. It's kind of like our albums episode where we kind of yeah. like each personally pick things that we really like that we'd like to recommend to other people. Yeah. So could even become a series of its own if we want. Today, each of us have three underrated movies that we want to talk to you about. And we'd like to recommend them because these are movies that have come out uh, in recent times. Not reading, well, like, they've come out, like, some in the kind of up there. A lot of them are pretty, some of them are nostalgic uh, by today's standards, but today, we would like to recommend a couple of movies, three movies each, that we think are gems in their own right, that no one, either no one really talks about anymore, or they were interpreted as great films at the time of their release, but they just kind of faded into obscurity. So, or, they, or they didn't do too well and kind of faded out. Yeah. So, without further ado, let's get into this. So, um, who wants to start? I, uh, Cody, do you want to start? Uh, yeah, sure. I'll start. Um, What's the first underrated movie you want to talk about? Did it about? come out in 1998? <laughs> no. And funny enough, guys, you're going to be so proud of me, but none of the three films that I've chose today are from the 1990s. What? In fact, all of them are from the 2000s. Oh my god, oh. you're you're going up in the world. <laughs> Our baby boy, Cody from the 90s, is growing up. He finally grew up. <laughs> He's gonna be a 2000s baby. <clears throat> like me. <laughs> like you. So, my first film is The Rundown from 2003. Have you guys seen this? No, I have not. Okay. So, I'll ke- I'll keep it brief, but uh The Rundown is an action comedy film directed by Peter Berg and it stars The Rock or Dwayne The Rock Johnson as he was known for at the time. He's just known as I guess Dwayne Johnson, but he went through a ser- he went through a period of just being known as The Rock and then Dwayne The Rock Johnson and now just Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> And it also stars Sean William Scott and Rosario, Rosario Dawson and Christopher Walken. So I know that's got Lyle's attention if I mention Rosario Dawson. So I like that cast already. <laughs> so it's a it's a movie about um, uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson plays this guy named Beck, who is sort of like a bounty hunter, but he refers to himself as like a retrieval expert. And he works for this millionaire who assigns him to do, like, these jobs where he has to, like, just 
snap like either get get some sort of like really expensive value from people or he just has to do like really like weird odd jobs with the whole sole purpose of him trying to build up money to start up his own restaurant and this guy that he works for said i'll give you one last job to do and you're a free man and you can go develop your restaurant he says i want you to go to this amazonian place or the sorry this amazonian town called el dorado in brazil and i need you to retrieve my son his name is travis walker and that's played by sean william scott oh nice so you think it so you think it's gonna be just like a very easy peasy get in get out like just find the guy tell him your dad's trying to find you come home and then that's the end of the movie well no it ends up being a very dysfunctional and messy adventure involving these two and it gets a little bit more entangled once Christopher Walken comes into the picture and he's the villain and he his villain's name is uh, Hatcher yeah Hatcher and he's a guy that is like purposely trying to like siphon all the resources from this town in El Dorado and kind of just make it almost like a slum area and you feel so bad for the people in this movie of how they're treated and Rosario Dawson plays a bartender by day and kind of like a rebel leader by night and it's extremely fun trying to watch Sean William Scott and The Rock go through all these antics to try to get away from Try, both trying to get away from Christopher Walken, but at the same time trying to get back to the airstrip. And the reason why I think this movie is pretty underrated is because, well, it didn't do that well in the box office, despite it getting kind of like mixed to average reviews. I think the I uh, was just looking it up here to be exact, but I think it only made um, it only made eighty five. Or sorry, it only made almost eighty-one million dollars off of its eighty-five million dollar budget, so it didn't really do that well. And it said here that uh, the film didn't do well in terms of its box office because of poor designing of its rating system back then, because people had no idea if it was supposed to be rated PG or PG thirteen. So it didn't really it didn't really do well. And on top of that, the film was marketed for the longest time to be called Welcome to the Jungle. And at the last minute, the studio decided to change it to The Rundown, which is kind of ironic seeing that The Rock would later on be in Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. That's <laughs> hilarious. Oh, my God. So, uh, yeah, so... What do, you, what do you like most about this movie? Well, first of all, I find Peter Berg a very underrated director. I think he has a very nice visceral... And when it comes to, like, his his movies just primarily based on true stories. It's very honorable and it's very, um, it's very respectful to the source material. But I think what I, what I get the most out of this film is his sort of fast paced aesthetic and gorgeous cinematography. And the movie's very well cut. but at the same time, it's not only just a buddy comedy, but I find that the buddy comedy aspect is almost secondary because all the characters are pretty layered and pretty well consistently dimensioned. Like they're not well, they're not like one dimensional characters is what I'm trying to say. And there's a lot of like subversion of expectations in the film in terms of how it portrays like Christopher Walken's character as the villain. I don't want to say any examples, but when you watch it, you'll definitely know what I mean. And when it even comes to the buddy comedy stuff, 
I I think because I'm not really too big on the buddy comedy genre anyways. Like, I mean, the Rush Hour movies are a bit irritating to watch. But I find The Rock and Sean William Scott's dynamic in the movie very, um, very layered and very, like, entertaining to watch because Sean William Scott is just, like, a passive, annoying, like, persistently, like, just kind of arrogant person that's just trying to get under his skin, under the rock skin at so many layers all the time. Like, anytime he can just be a dick, he just goes for it. Kind of reminds me of his role in uh, Cop Out. Remember uh, that scene? When he's in the back seat and he's trying to piss off Bruce Willis. Oh, uh, yeah, it's kind of like that, I guess. But it, th- there's at least reason why he's like that. Like, that's what I mean. Like, there's there's a lot of reason and character behind everybody. And when it comes to the character Beck, uh, the Rock's character Beck, okay, well, put it this way. If you were ever on a film set and you had... Winston Wolf from Pulp Fiction as your first AD and Beck as your second AD, you'll probably go home crying saying that was the worst shoot I've ever had and that was the most stressful time I've ever had in my life because Beck is like such a a moral and and uh what's I'm trying to think of the right words to define him cuz he's so well done. He he's a guy that just gets on task right away. Like he doesn't take any shit from anybody. He's all about just getting from point A to point Z. He has no time for breaks, and that's kind of his catchphrase in the movie. No breaks. No breaks. He's diligent. Very diligent, yes. And there's a little bit more to him as well, because he's sort of a pacifist, because he doesn't believe in guns. So he doesn't handle a gun in this film, but that's as, as far as I'll say. you got to watch the movie. I don't want to ruin too much of it. But even on the way of them trying to get to the airstrip, Sean William Scott is always talking about this, like, um, this, like, kind of treasure called the Gato, and it's, like, in the jungle somewhere, and it's supposed to, like, and, and it's kind of a MacGuffin story where everybody's trying to get the Gato, where Rosario Dawson believes it'll bring everybody out of the slums, and it'll just be very valuable to their people. Sean William Scott obviously wants it because of selfish reasons, and of course... Uh, Christopher Walken wants it all to himself, and yeah, I, I put it okay. Here, here's a great example. Peter Berg is the better man, Michael Bay. I would say so. You watch Peter Berg's films and you watch Michael Bay films, and they're aesthetically almost like similar, like the way that they have like their natural sunlight and their fast pacing. The only difference is while Michael Bay films are like almost incoherent messes and with just so much comedy that it becomes like overbearing. Peter Berg and specifically the rundown at least has his characters nicely consistent and well developed and you can understand what the fuck is happening with the fast editing and it actually adds to Beck's character as well and there's a few examples where he's just sort of analyzing the area and trying to figure out how to like get things done but like the 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 kind of fast-paced editing kind of puts us into his mindset. So it's not just all about style, it's all about the character as well. I'm looking at his filmography. He really fucking loves Mark Wahlberg, doesn't he? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, his, uh, I called it, well, I know he's made a lot of films with him, but at one point I called the, uh, I called it a trilogy at at first. I I thought Lone Survivor, Deepwater Horizon, and uh, Patriot's Day we're all like three really, really solid movies based on true stories. 
like true American stories. Um, he also did a very underrated. It's probably my favorite football movie of all time, uh, Friday Night Lights. Yeah, I'm not a football person at all, but like I found that movie excellent. I'm not a fo- full disclosure, Cody. And I'm, I'm not a football movie either. But I you're not a football. I'm movie. not. A, I'm not. I'm not a football movie guy ever. I'm not. A, I'm not a football movie guy. You're not a football but, movie guy. But a guy made I loved. I loved Remember the Titans. Uh, that's that's, that's one of the great ones. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a classic. Yeah. Also, he made a movie that was kind of like similar to Pulp Fiction, and also a a movie that you're about to talk about later on, Lyle. Uh, Go. Um, he made a film called Very Bad Things, which I heard is like another one of those like interconnected storyline crime comedy kind of movies from the 90s. I haven't checked it out yet, but I probably should. Hey, John Favreau's in it. And Christian Slater. I'm just looking. Oh, there you go. I'm just looking. Peter Berg also yeah. direct. Peter Berg, I'm just looking at his song. Oh, he also directed Hancock, which uh, I really liked. And Battleship. Yo, uh, he actually, at the, he, he, his movie got released, Battleship got released in competition with the Avengers in 2012, cleaning up the May 2012 box office revenue. And Peter Berg chirped Marvel pretty hard at the time, saying, Yeah, my movie's better. Fuck you, Tony Stark. Uh, Well, I don't don't know what you guys are talking about. I I looked up here. It says that Michael Bay directed Battleship, and he went under a pseudonym name called Peter Berg. Oh! (laughs) Oh, That's what he's been doing all this time. Uh, yeah, you know, that I, totally I, looked uh, like yeah. a Transformers movie. I look at the poster to this movie, the rundown, and it just looks like the most generic schlock. But at the same time, if you find that there's like enough cleverness in it or enough thought put into it, and it's that, yeah, that kind of makes me a little bit more intrigued. I was just gonna say, like, I I don't think I'd ever see a movie with The Rock and Sean William Scott together. That's a very interesting yeah. pair that I wouldn't really think of. But I'm sure they're fun together, right? Oh, they're a lot of fun. That's what I mean. The, the The film is very nice to look at. There's a very nice score in it, too. It's kind of like a, a combination of like a uh, like a Brazilian guitar mixed in with like orchestrated score, and no, it also has like an occasional like kind of like just uh, just like guitar riff music, and it, it it kind of sets a really interesting tone. And on top of that, it's just it's just fun to watch the dynamic between all these characters. And one quick thing, which was kind of interesting. So the opening scene, I'll just talk really briefly about the opening scene, but it it establishes like Beck's character right off the bat because he goes to this nightclub and he, all of his job is to do is just retrieve this. Uh, I think, yeah, it's like a ring off of like this N- NFL superstar that's like hanging out with him, hanging out there with his entourage. And like as the bouncer was letting Beck come into the nightclub, I think the bouncer said something along the lines of like, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but he said something like this, like this NFL superstar and his entourage are like just causing a ruckus. Like even security can't even hold them back. And then one of the security guards passes by Beck as he's walking in. And it's not only then Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, nice. making a, making a really quick cameo. It's like you, you blink and you'll miss him. It's just like one quick second. But as Arnold is walking by him, he just says to him, have fun. Like Arnold says that to Arnold says that to the rock. Just like he just says sarcastically, have fun. And what's interesting is that line is almost a little bit more um, relevant today than it ever was even back then. Because think about it. That was 2003. 
Arnold just started his term as the governor, and that was like shortly after the Terminator Three came out, and he was just obviously went on like a film hiatus, being the governor of California, and it almost feels like. Because The Rock at the time had only... His first movie that he did is when he played the Scorpion King in uh, The Mummy Returns. And then he starred in the spin-off, in, like, the spin-off, The Scorpion King. It almost feels like Schwarzenegger was passing the torch down to The Rock and saying that, like, it's now your time to shine and take over my legacy as, like, the superstar action guy. Well, he kind of is now. Yeah. You, you can put him in almost anything, and it almost sells like hotcakes. So oh, yeah, it's true. He is kind of like the modern-day Schwarzenegger. I wouldn't disagree with that claim. And I believe that The Rock was... Or, sorry, I believe that The Rundown was the beginning of that. And it's a movie that a, not a lot of people talk about. I'm surprised, because it's highly enjoyable. And it, compared to today's action films, because like today's action films are just like... Literally, like I said, just nonsense. Like, passive nonsense. Where you don't know what the fuck is happening, there's really not much at stake, and there's not enough like character to it. C- going to something like the rundown, it feels almost like a a flashback and almost like an appreciation of like films that even came up before then. And yeah, it's definitely underrated. In fact, I- I'd love to watch it with you guys because it is one of those movies that you just you pop on with some friends or whatever, you know. Is this like uh, Dragon's Den where we all judge each movie and it's like, okay, I'm sold. <laughs> like, next film. Or like, and it's like saying, <laughs> no, we'd have to have like, can, can you imagine Dragon's Den but people who underrated mo- Underrated movies. Yeah. <laughs> uh. You have to put like, you have to put like the heart, you have to put like the tension score right before you guys say your verdict. <laughs> I think Big Trouble with Tim Allen is an underrated movie. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> No. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, while you're not going to the 90s, Cody, uh, Lyle and I are going to the 90s, specifically. For once. Yeah, Lyle and I are our next picks. We're going to party like it's 1999. So, in that year. (laughs) Enjoy. Well, enjoy yourself. You'll need it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, So, in 1999, uh, there was this little comedy that kind of came and went. Uh, but it allows me to say with a straight face, tonight I'm going to talk about dick. Okay. <laughs> har, har. Real mature Bradley. Real mature Bradley. Okay. What is dick? Do, do you like, do, do you like, do you like it, Evan? Do you like <laughs> dick? That's how much you love it, Evan. Oh my, fu- <laughs> now I have to t- explain to my guys how much I love dick. <laughs> to be dick. fair, that is 50% of the dialogue of this movie. Okay, yeah, no, I'm get- we're getting ahead of ourselves. So, puns. what is dick? Dick was written and directed by a guy named Andrew Fleming. It stars K- Kirsten Dunst, Michelle Williams, Will Ferrell, Dan Hedaya, and Bruce Mullock. McCulloch, sorry. He's from Kids in the Hall. Man. Oh, yeah, Kids in the Hall. So uh, Dave Foley's in that, too. Oh, yeah. That's right, yeah, Dave Foley is. So, hey, so what's yeah. the movie about? <laughs> it's the mid-70s, and Michelle Williams and Kirsten Dunst play these two, ditzy blonde, t- these two ditzy blonde girls who are 15 years old. Full disclosure, they do not look like they're 15 at all. I mean, Michelle Williams look like she, looks like she's almost 30. Uh, you know, Kirsten, well, then again, Kirsten at the time, like, this was at the time when Hollywood, it was before Spider-Man. This was, well, it was before Spider-Man, but this was also a period in history where Hollywood thought they could take 
uh, really old-looking twenty-year-olds and pass them off as teen and cast them as teenagers. Now it's done a little more accurately. Um, teenagers in most shows and movies today look like about teenagers look like teenagers. But anyway, so what's the plot? So these two fifteen-year-old girls. Uh, they go on a class trip to the White House at a time when Richard Nixon is the president of the United States and they get lost in the White House and they wind up meeting the president on accident. Uh, Tricky Dick himself is played by Dan Hedaya and, uh, he does a pretty good job. He uh, doesn't really look like, he doesn't look like, he doesn't look like, he doesn't look like better. Okay. The guy who played Nixon in Watchmen, that or, was, or that was makeup too. That was makeup, but the guy who the most accurate on-screen Nixon portrayal is in Frost Nixon. That's yeah, pretty. Yeah, that's pretty that on point. So, anyways, uh, but in terms of, I mean, this is a comedy, so they can kind of get away with that. Yeah. But so the plot is the president. Uh, they at first don't know who he is at first, but then they catch on and they realize, oh, he's the president, and. This guy is viewed by the youth of America as, like, you know, a corrupt asshole who is pro-war, sending innocent kids to die in Vietnam, for, and it's a pointless cause. So, at first they really like him, and uh, he likes them, so he appoints them unofficially to be uh, the dog walker at the White House for uh, the first dog, Checkers, who was actually Nick Nixon's real dog. <laughs> No, in real life. Nixon. No, I'm, I'm laughing because there's one line that I you're like, gonna have to. I'll, I'll say you can it later. quote it best. So the point is, uh, they and it, while they're while they are his dog walkers, they get to they get uh, clearance to the White House. They go back and forth between their home and uh, and uh, their family. Uh, one of the girls uh, has a brother who is actually drafted into to go to Vietnam because he comes of age, and there was a draft going on at the time, and that was one of the biggest controversies of so, the war. So what's the boiler point? Like, where does it get to the... The boiling point is, at first, the girls really like Dick. <laughs> no, there's seriously a line... That... There's a lot of puns. Yeah, I know. This movie kind of exists to kind of say, I wonder how many times we can get away with saying, I love Dick! So, and have these, you know, young girls say, I love Dick! And so, apparently... Uh, the boiling point comes when uh, they discover that Tricky Dick is not so nice, and he kicks him out, and then they are secretly recruited by Woodward and Bernstein. Woodward is played by Wolf Farrell, and uh, McCulloch plays uh, Bernstein. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So anyways, uh, they... So Woodward and Bernstein, like, they got... turns out that these two girls stumbled upon some tapes that they weren't supposed to hear... And that, oh. and uh, the the joke is we don't to this day no one knows who Deep Throat was. The movie suggests what if Deep Throat was the were these two ditzy high school girls who just derailed the biggest uh, the biggest leader in the world. So what happens is uh, because they give their they they get access to the tapes they leak the tapes to woodward and bernstein and then watergate is exposed and then nixon has to <laughs> resign but the cool part of the, mo the movie ends with nixon giving his famous speech in which he resigns and the the, the soundtrack in this movie i i, sh I should mention is kick-ass and the reason i mention it's kick-ass is because the song that plays when Nixon is doing his famous walk from the White House to Marine One as he resigns in disgrace is You're So Vain 
Carly Simon. By Carly Simon. And, uh... That and that's probably the best use of your soul vein that I've ever seen. In a yeah, movie. it worked remarkably well. Yeah. At first, I was a little confused what they were going for, but it paid off nicely. And uh, so, and you know, full disclosure, this this the, the clip of that scene, the your soul vein song sequence where Nixon's walking to Marine One, that got rec that wound up in my recommended uh, list on youtube because it was a few days before uh joe Biden was you know going to be inaugurated as president so people were in the comments of this clip saying i wonder if this is what how trump's last day is gonna go and it's like ha ha i get it so evan let me ask you why do you feel this movie is underrated i feel like it's underrated because uh it actually incorporates real and makes a lot and it's a light-hearted take of real political events at the time not just watergate like there's a scene where uh, Nixon has like communist block leaders in the Oval Office for like a really uh, high tension meeting because they're all about you know uh, America can have nuclear weapons here but these the communists can't have nuclear weapons there so they deliver the girls bring brownies uh, to, yeah brownies mm, to the White House and they give them they give special brownies to Nixon and like the premier of the Soviet Union and. They're, like, getting high off their asses, and they just are like, yeah, okay, why do we have all this tension? So they they un, they unintentionally, you know, weed caused world peace without them even realizing <laughs> it. And um, also, yeah, just uh, how, I like how, and also, they make light of real serious political events, but, like, it does get serious when one of the girls has a brother that's, you know, drafted into yeah. the Vietnam conflict. So that's where it takes itself just seriously enough to be, it, it works as a nice little comedy. Um, also the atmosphere works really well. The dialogue and the jokes get a little repetitive because it's like how many dumb blonde jokes and dick jokes can we squeeze into there's the screen? There's a few gems, like the one where like Nixon's listening to the tapes and his dog just starts barking. Oh yeah, checkers. It's like, checkers, if you don't shut up, I'll feed you to the Chinese. I'll cut you up and feed you to the Chinese. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great line. And, um... That's kind of the only line I remember, honestly. Yeah. Uh, also, but more to the sound, uh, two songs from Guardians of the Galaxy are in this movie. Hooked on a Feeling Mm -hmm. and Come and Get Your Love are also in this, are in this movie. And, uh... Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, it works. It's underrated because Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams, they make a great pair. Um, I'm surprised they never reunited for anything else. That is kind of it's sad like because... It's the only thing they've been together. But. They have great... They had great chemistry. They did. Uh, re- what was that... What was that one movie that came out in the 90s? Uh, Rumi and Michelle's High School Reunion or something like that? Uh, I, I think I know what you're talking about, yeah. I never saw that. Yeah, Ru- uh i got i saw the trailer for go or sorry i sorry i saw the trailer for dick and um for some reason i got kind of vibes out of that one where i was sort of thinking like is this sort of like trying to ape off the success of clue but have a little bit of a political spin on it because like a lot of movies in the late 90s just like i don't know clue was such a, a smash sleeper hit that um no, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> How could something be a smash sleeper hit? Sorry, no, it was just a sleeper hit that de- developed a bit of a cult following afterwards. But it had that sort of like glossy '90s charm to it, and I feel like 
Dick wanted to sort of have that, but have like a political spin. But I, I haven't heard anybody talk about this movie all that much, but I, I'm still willing to give it a shot. I mean, if it's a comedy, I mean, I know comedy is very subjective, but like there could be a couple of good laughs in it. I feel like this movie, uh, given political shenanigans in re- in the last over the last five years, I feel like if we were to watch this movie, if I feel like if more people were to give this movie a chance, given recent political events and how the history of the 70s kind of parallels what's going on today with, you know, how there was Vietnam and then there was Afghanistan today. And then, you know, there was uh, Nixon back then and then there was Trump and now there's Biden. So I feel like if we could, if if there were more political comedies like this that, you know, were a lighthearted take on, you know, the political arena of the time, then I feel like, you know, we wouldn't be so up in arms with each other over uh, our political views. So I actually, so it was kind of a nice, I, I liked it because it takes, it's, it's so lighthearted. And I'm sorry I sound like a broken record. Oh, and I'm going to kind of end uh, my little recommendation for Dick um, with a funny story. I learned that this movie exists in the year 2001 because Josh was telling me, Evan, there is a movie called Dick. Now, Josh and I, we went to elementary school together. So, full get this. So, it was like when kids learn a new swear word. Like, Dick was a word that we knew for a while, but Josh one day was like, Hey, Evan, did you know if there's actually a movie called Dick? I'm like, Really? And we we just laughed at the fact that there was a movie called Dick because we were so mature back then. We because we we didn't bother to talk about what the plot was. We were just like ah uh-huh, uh-huh, they named a movie Dick. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> I'm nine years old and laughing at the word Dick. <laughs> and then uh, I believe um one our t- one of our teachers actually heard uh, about this and we actually got in trouble for. You know, saying, saying, but no, we said, we seriously said, no, we're serious. There is a movie called Dick and we got in trouble. It's kind of like Jackass. It's like a movie title you can't really say out loud when you're a kid. You can't say it out. Yeah, no, like how awkward was it when like I'm, the Jackass movies were also coming out when I was in elementary school, so we couldn't talk about it. like, honey, what are you watching? Jackass. You're grounded. <laughs> it's kind of like what happened with... the um, story, by the way. No, do you remember when you told the story on this show of how uh, you called your dog a bitch because you heard it on Because <laughs> family guy. Because family guy. <laughs> family guy got me grounded yeah. so many times. Yeah. Yeah. There was also a movie called Awesome, I Fucking Shot That. <laughs> And there's also another there's there's also another one called Badass. Oh yeah, the bus one, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, with Danny Trejo. Yeah. So that's Dick. You wanna see Dick? <laughs> no, look it up. No, Google Google Dick <laughs> Google. Go, Google Dick Google Dick the movie circa nineteen ninety nine. You'll get so many results. Okay. So if all so if all of us would hang out one day and we want to watch dick and we have to rent it is that prostitution you gotta pay for some dick <laughs> oh my god we're too much we're too... we gotta keep going okay we gotta keep going yeah and that's uh... i'll go okay yes so evan picked a movie from 1999 that was pretty underrated and funny enough so did i um a little backstory with this movie uh when i was in film school i went to this place called a bmv which is like the, uh, it's kind of like a used bookstore. Yeah. Store, which is really a great place if you want to get movies cheap. 
Naturally, I, it wasn't until I realized, oh, libraries give out movies for free for rentals, so I should have taken advantage for, of that. For, every, for, for, everybody, for, for everybody living in Toronto, you got to go to the one near Spadina Station, Spadina and Bloor. That's the best one. Uh, yeah, I also like the one by, I always watch the one by uh, uh, Eaton Center, like the one close to the Silver Snake. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, that one's junk compared to the one at Bloor and Spadina. Oh, I'm sorry, Cody. <laughs> we can't agree on everything. But anyway, so like as I was like walking through the aisles, I found this one cover, and it's it had like Sarah Polly reaching out in a blue background, and there's like this big flashing sign next to her, and it was said nothing more than from the director of Swingers, which is a movie I really liked back then. Doug Go Lehman. Yeah, Doug Lyman. Go. Life begins at 3 a.m. And I was like, okay, I don't know what this is, but I'm hooked. And I, I bought it, and I took it home. So Go is a crime comedy film that, if I had to, if I had to explain it, it's kind of like, it's a little bit like Pulp Fiction. Not exactly, though. It has a different kind of spin on it. But it's basically three stories that are told concurrently over the course of 24 hours. If I had to think of an example, um, the episode of Simpsons Trilogy of Error is probably the closest yeah. analog to what it's going for, where it's like you have one starting point and characters will interact and then like you'll the first act will start, it'll end, and they'll cut back to the first starting point and with a different character. And that's how it plays out. And I, I, I absolutely love that as a as a writing device. I think that's so much better than media on res. Or like, this is how this happened. Let's go back 12 hours. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, no, I want to get some context first and then we'll carry on. Oh, oh no. Then you're just going to hate if I recommend Lost. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to name drop it, man. This is what I do. I'm trying to indicate to watch the fucking show, Evan and Lyle. You're a lostaholic. You're a lostaholic, buddy. You bring it up all the time. It's okay. I am such a... But you need no, but if you're, if you're not a fan of the Media res, then oh boy, you're going to have a tough time getting through most of the show, because that's the structure here. How do I break this freaking plot down, man? <laughs> I'll tell... The, I'll just give a basic explanation of the three stories, so... The first story is with Sarah Polly. She's kind of down on her luck. It's like Christmas time and she can't afford to pay her rent by the end of the month, which is catching up to her. So she comes up with a plan to sell drugs. She wants to sell about a, you know, a bottle full of ecstasy and earn the money because uh, she sure as hell isn't going to get that at her day job. But um, So she goes to a dealer played by a really, really uh, intimidating Timothy Oliphant. And he, he sells her the drugs, but, like, then she, like, interacts with these two actors who are, like, supposed to be their, their hookup. They're the ones she's supposed to sell her to. But it turns out it's a sting. I'll get to that later. It's a sting, so she has to toss the drugs. And so she just uses over-the-counter stuff, like Tylenol, and says, hey, this is ecstasy. Try it out. She makes all her money back, but then the drug dealer confronts her. And then she gets, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, should I get into spoilers or not? I, I, I don't want to get into spoilers. I spoiled dick, so... <laughs> spoiled, spotted spoiled dick. Okay, oh. for, for fuck's sake. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, We're not gonna fucking stop. I don't know, because if I explain the whole plot, it's gonna take a while, because there's a lot of beats to explain. It's been a while since I've seen the movie. 
I have watched it many times. Though. Okay, that's okay. But YouTube audience, there's a confrontation with the drug dealer at YouTube the end. Audience, I don't spoil it. Play the movie at two times speed if you want to get. <laughs> no, you gotta enjoy your fault. Okay, in the second story, there's this English bloke who's friends with uh, Sarah Pauly, and he wants to go to Vegas, baby. A Doug Lyman movie set in Vegas. Call the press, but. <laughs> swingers but um yeah um it's just this story doesn't really have like a whole lot to do with the main concurrent story it's more like the events of this story pay off at the very end of the movie but it's just a fun wild excursion in vegas where you have bad deals at, at poker games you have you know flings one night stands in hotels and you accidentally set the hotel on fire you go to strip clubs and you grope the woman and then the bouncers are like, i'm gonna kill you and then you have a car chase. It's just a freaking wild ride with Breck Brecklin Meyer and the guy who played Frank from Donnie Darko and uh So this Ty so Brecklin Meyer was in a good movie that wasn't Garfield? <laughs> oh what, are you saying Garfield's a good oh. movie? He was in Rat Race. So sorry, why I said that I, I completely botched that joke. Just, um, are you <laughs> saying that he was in a good he was in a he was in a good movie? He's been in a couple good movies, yeah. yes. He's in Road Trip. That was decent. He's great in Road And he trip. plays the best character on Robot Chicken. Huh? Fumbles. It was always Fumbles. Right. Yes. But, um, okay, yeah, so the second story is kind of like a... Just a nice detour to a new fancy location. Most of the action scenes take place in this one, and it's a fun ride all throughout. And the third story... Remember that sting I mentioned earlier? So it turns out there's these two soap opera actors. One's played, They're both played by SNL alumni, uh, Scott Wolf and Jay Moore. Probably their best roles in anything, honestly. Um, and uh, Although I did like Polly. Jay Moore is very good in Polly. That's a very underrated kids movie, but I will talk about it another day. So anyways, they are soap opera actors who got cut, or cut, caught with drugs. So William Fickner is this, this opera. He's like, all right, we're going to have a sting. You're going to wear wire. And he's like this hyperactive individual, like who's just trying to get these. He's trying to bust the drug dealer who turns out to be Sarah Pauly. So, um, but then Jay Moore kind of gives her the tip that it's like, oh, it's a trap, get out of there. And that's that's what leads in the first story. And then the then they uh, then William Fichtner, after the failed bust, tries to sell them an LM MLM multi-level marketing ploy with you know bullshit. It's basically am. What was it called? Amway? Amway, ACN, <laughs> And they mention it's like, this looks like Amway. It's like, no! No, it's not! Shut your mouth! <laughs> it's just like that. And then afterwards, they go to a, they, they go to a rave. And um, I guess I'm kind of having to spoil it because it ties into the first story. They accidentally hit Sarah Polly with their car. And they try to dispose of her body <laughs> through by stuffing her in their Miata. And they can't fit it in the trunk. He's like, well, come on, move this and that. No, I, I can't. It's a Miata. <laughs> so as you can see, the one thing I really love, one thing I love about this movie is just like how characters can go from one story and mix in with another. It's very, it's very, it's almost like a mosaic. It, it weaves in very nicely. Um, I know a lot of people like to call it a Pulp Fiction ripoff. If it is, it's one of the better ones. You know, you think of, like, Boondock Saints or stuff like that, where it's a little bit too, like, gratuitous. Like, or even, like, if you look at Guy Ritchie, who kind of tries a little too hard to ape off Tarantino style. It's just stuff like that. But, like, with, with Go, I feel like it's it, it's it's fresh enough, and it's, you know, it's energetic. It's not, like, it's not like pure cinema, but it's just, like, a really fun time that not too many people have really acknowledged much. And Doug Lyman, the director, 
has had a pretty pretty solid career. Like he did things like Mr. and Mrs. Smith. He's got he's, he's got and even up to like Edge of Tomorrow, which was an awesome movie. The Born Identity, which I can think is like yeah, that's a film that kind of changed the action genre for a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's too bad that his last movie was such a dud with Chaos Walking. Oh God, he did that. Yeah, he did. Yeah, and Charlie Kaufman almost wrote it, but he's just like, "Fuck this, I'm out." <laughs> he left. Oh, 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 yeah. I knew about the Charlie Kaufman story, but I for I guess I may have forgot or didn't know that Doug Liman did that one. Ugh, I didn't see it, but it, I cringe when I look at that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I mean another thing that's kind of unique about this movie is that. It, it kind of is one of the few films that really tackles the rave culture that was very popular in the 90s, yeah. especially in the U.S. And, um, yeah, it's also uh, another point of trivia. It's Melissa McCarthy's on-screen debut. Oh, cool. Oh, my God! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. I've she, seen she, this movie. I've seen this movie a couple times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She shows up and she's like, "Oh, oh hi. <laughs> oh, he's at a party. I didn't get invited, but that's okay." So. Take that for what it's worth. You know, I don't want to diss Melissa McCarthy. She can be very good. She just she's a talented woman that just chooses bad scripts sometimes. Go watch Can You Ever Forgive Me and tell me that she's a bad actress. I will not believe you. Uh, she go. is awesome. In- oh no, she was she was she was great in Bridesmaids. I thought she was great. She was the best part I of even, Bridesmaids. I even love her in The Heat. That's probably my favorite comedy of hers, honestly. Oh yeah, that's a really fun. Movie. I liked uh, Spy. Spy was pretty funny. Spy is pretty good Spy's too. Spy is pretty decent. So yeah, yeah, she, she's made yeah. bad movies, but every actor does. And yeah. while I do wish she would kind of reach for a higher, you know, one reach for the lowest hanging fruit that her husband always directs her in, it'd be nice. Oh God, that guy needs to go away. Yeah. But anyways, back to go. Um. It's really fun. It has a really nice '90s soundtrack too. I think the the standout is "Len" by uh, or sorry, "Steal My Sunshine" by Len. That song pops up a lot, and that always makes me think of like how fun the '90s were. There's a lot of rage. Steal stuff. my sunshine. <laughs> yeah, and then there's like Fat Boy Slim and Jimmy Luxury. All right, yeah. Yeah. Which fat? Which fat? Which which Fat Boy Slim song was it? Gangsta Trippin'. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so bottom line um if you love pulp fiction and if you like movies that have like almost like this sort of like liquid flow to it where the pace is like pretty solid all throughout um i would definitely give go a go it's uh i i think it's one of the most underrated gems of the 90s and like i always want to encourage people to check it out because i like doug lyman and I really like uh, I really like the star power in this too. I also forgot. Oh yeah, Katie Holmes is in the movie too. Um, right, right, right. right. <laughs> um, as well as uh, is there anyone else I missed? I don't. Oh, and um, uh, Jane Krasowski, if you like her, she's in. She's doing a lot of good work nowadays. But um, yeah, so that's my uh, take on Go. Go give it a watch. Correct me if I'm wrong, Lyle, but is Go? One of the first, if not the first movie that you ever showed me? I did let you... I think it's the first movie I let you borrow. Because you kept telling me how much you love Pulp Fiction. And I was like, that's great. There's another movie I saw that's almost of the same, like... Same kind of flavor. And it's this one. And since I know how much... We made a whole podcast about Pulp Fiction. So, like, yeah. If you like Pulp Fiction a lot, give Go a try. Because I think it's one of the better ones that tries to kind of ape Tarantino without being entirely encrusted in his, like, style.
It's funny. I, I, I didn't know about the film that much until you brought it up, but actually, if memory serves me best, back in that Top Gun video store that my mom used to work at that I mentioned previously in this on this show, I think there was a cardboard cutout advertisement for that movie, and it was just the poster. Oh, wow. It didn't do too well in the box office? No, it did terribly. It had a budget of $20 million and it made back $28.5 million. The same thing goes for... That's oh. A, that's a big... My loss. first... Oh, I, I completely forgot to mention this in when I was talking about Dick, but uh, Dick bombed as well. It made half... It, its total uh, gross at the box office was less than half of its uh, budget. It was made on a budget of $13 million. Mm. It grossed just over $6 million. Mm. Well, luckily, the Go has become a bit of a cult classic, and it's definitely something that's worth watching in Doug Lyman's uh, filmography. I uh, I can't... It's been so many years since I've seen it, since you let me borrow it. Um, from what I can remember, I remember having a really good time with it. It had a lot of energy. It had a lot of funny... In, it kind of funny character moments. Um I just don't remember anything from the movie, and that's just because I hadn't seen it in so long. But it needs a rewatch one day. Yeah, you should. One day. <laughs> yeah, that happens. You can't remember every detail. But uh, I think it's time for us to move on to our second round, gentlemen. Okay. We're only a third of the way through. All right. Yes, from 2007. I'm talking about the movie Sunshine. Oh, I want to see this. I want to see not this. Little, not Danny Little Miss Sunshine. I, I, not Little Miss Sunshine, no. Ha- Evan, have you seen this? Or? or I have not, no. Okay, so Sunshine. It's directed by Danny Boyle. We all know who Danny Boyle is. And bef- before I get into the movie, I-, I just had to briefly mention kind of the history of this. So back in 2000, after Danny Boyle had much success with the now favorable film from the 90s, Train Spotting. He tried to adapt a book called The Beach, which was a book that was the author of that book was actually no other than Alex Garland. Now, I want you to remember that I said Alex Garland because uh, he comes up a little bit more later on in this discussion. So what happened was that, okay, The Beach is a bit of a mess of a movie. And uh, Danny Boyle has gone on to say that it was just a terrible experience because there was a lot of studio interference from Fox at the time. He wanted Ewan McGregor to be the main character in the movie because he was, of course, in Train Spotting and also that other movie with um, Cameron Diaz, uh, A Life Less Ordinary, which was a was a kind of a moderate uh, hit at the time for the studio. And because Titanic was such a success back then, the studio mandated to have Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio in the film instead of Ewan McGregor. So that, first of all, pissed uh, Danny Boyle off big time. And the movie was very chopped down, and it was very kind of rushed. They just tried to get out into theaters as soon as possible to make it a, a quick buck. And Danny Boyle said, fuck this, I'm either out or I'm taking a giant break from the studio system. So throughout the entire 2000s, Danny Boyle had a pretty great string of independent films under the, re- the, under the umbrella of Fox Searchlight, starting with 28 Days Later, then Millions, that, then this mo- little movie called Millions, which is another little gem. I'd recommend that one. Then he did Sunshine. And then a year after Sunshine, he wins the Oscar for Slumdog Millionaire. Right. And then it even continues after that with 127 hours. So the guys had a pretty great success in that time. But with Sunshine, 
I find it to be my absolute favorite from his filmography. This movie is gorgeous. It is gorgeous. To, it is my kind of sci-fi. It is gorgeous to look at. It's cerebral. It has a lot of ambience in it. There's just like this almost like psychological thriller aspect to the film as well. And I just get so transfixed when I watch this film. So it's essentially, it's about, so mankind is almost to an end. Is, sorry, mankind is leading to an end because the sun is starting to like burn out. And they send a ship to the sun to try to deliver this payload to try to like either, I mean, there's science behind it. I'm, I'm just forgetting if it's either they recharge the sun or the payload is sort of like a replicant of the sun rays. But the movie actually starts off with the second shuttle, so called the Icarus 2. So there was an Icarus 1, and then this we're following the crew of the Icarus 2. Because it was... I'm getting, I'm getting the core vibes from this. No, no, no. So, so here's, here's the thing, Evan. I'm happy you brought up sort of generic disaster movies, because this movie, this movie starts off thinking, oh god, it's another one of these. Another one of these mission survival movies where everyone gets, uh, you know, each one gets picked off one by one. Because as the, as the Icarus 2 is on their way to deliver the payload and to try to figure out what happened to the original crew in the Icarus 1, the film very cleverly and very intelligently knows how to make a disaster film in terms of, like, one thing leads to the other because... Okay, uh, it's, it's Sorry, I'm trying to actually figure out the way to describe this but it's basically the little bits of characterization that you get out of the crew at the beginning before shit starts to kind of go a little bit wrong in their mission while every when one thing goes wrong it actually leads to another problem and then one character based on who uh, based on how they were established actually kind of conflicts with their decision sometimes as a crew like it's not just like throwing in a character to be like the the defense against like the mission. It's actually like kind of hurting their are either their morals or either the reason why they're up there in the first place. And it's not just like one bad thing that happens after the other. It's not like Armageddon. I'm going back to bashing Michael Bay, where that movie is just like one one thing happens after the other for the sake of having action. That this movie is actually very intelligent. That actually one thing leads to the next because of either people's mistakes but then it's like a domino effect almost but it also conflicts with a lot of characters on the crew in terms of their morals and all that and it's a very it's a there's a lot sorry sorry a lot of consequences that actually like come back later yeah and it has a very it has a very solid cast of characters the crew the the uh, the cast you have uh, Killian Murphy, uh, Chris Evans, Rose Byrne, uh, Michelle Yun, or Michelle Yu, um, Cliff Curtis. Yeah, Cliff Curtis. I'm trying to remember the other names of everybody on there. There's like seven crew members on here. Um, yeah, no, I find it very enjoyable, very engaging. It's uh, it's very visceral. It's very like I said, kind of um, kind of entrancing at a few moments. And it has to, it, that has to do with like the score that's in the movie. And it, there's a piece of music that's in this film that I, I know that a lot of people know based on uh, 
this piece of music being shown prominently in a lot of movie scores back then, one being uh, the, the first teaser for X-Men Days of Future Past. Um, kick-ass as well. Oh. Uh, it's... Fuck, I should probably know this. I'm trying to find this up. I find, I'm trying to look this up right now. Hang on. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Jeez, uh, I should have just wrote down my notes better, but sorry. Endagio in D minor. Uh, probably one of my favorite musical movie moment scores I've ever heard. It's up there with like the Jurassic Park theme for me personally. It's just a a very just i don't know how to describe it it's either very tragic or very like triumphant at the same time it's but it's also epic there's a there's a very like epicness to this film the film like i said before the, not only is the film gorgeous to look at but do you guys ever watch like movies in the dark then eventually when you get to like very dark scenes after a while anytime there's like a really bright scene like it's daylight or it turns white you're, you you kind of like squint your eyes like, oh shit, I got adjusted to the dark. Well, the whole movie is essentially the sunlight. So you're going to be kind of like going, holy shit, this movie is really bright. And I kind of, you got to get adjusted to it after the while, after a while. Cody, just for the record, I like to watch the first two minutes of Toy Story 2 with the lights off. And then as soon as it cuts to Annie's room in the middle of the day, I like to turn the lights on because... Yeah, because the first mm. uh, the first two minute the intro of Toy Story two takes place in space with the Buzz Lightyear video game, mm. and it's all darkly lit. So I love watching Eraserhead in a basement in the dark. Oh God, <laughs> have we told the story? Or, we're, 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 we don't want to take away from Cody's, but a st- good story for another time. Okay, how when we watched Eraserhead in uh, the basement of my old house, and all the the the, the boiler behind us was creating background ambience. It was like drips and creaks above us. It was perfect. Evan fell asleep, but that's okay. But anyway, everyone I show that movie to falls asleep, but that's okay. Anyways, carry on, Cody. Sunshine. So, so, the, so, so, the, so the reason why I mentioned Alex Garland before is because he was a novelist, and obviously one of the books that Danny Boyle ad- tried to adapt was a book that was written by Alex Garland, but Alex Garland would later on become a screenplay writer, and he wrote 28 days later i don't know if you guys knew that yeah i knew that i think i knew that and guess what he wrote sunshine cool Mm. i'm noticing a pattern and then so here we go and then and then when you watch this film you start to realize yeah this is definitely the guy that made ex machina and annihilation like it definitely has that 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 it definitely has that sort of like 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 cerebral sci-fi kind of vibe to it um, there is one aspect of the film that I, I occasion I really go back and forth in terms of how I feel about it, whether I feel it's necessary or a bit of an, a needless subplot, but it's, it kind of, it's kind of like a, eh, I don't want to go into it, but it kind of gave me like slasher film vibes, but I don't want to go into it too much, but, uh, you guys be the judge of judges of it. If you ever, if you ever watch it, um, no, I think it's definitely one of the better survival mission space films because there's at least a style to it there's at least a lot of character and a great cast to back it up it's not it's not silly it's not disposable there's actually some craft towards it and for an independent film i'm actually impressed by the grand visuals that it has in it um 
But unfortunately, just like the rundown, it didn't do well at all in the box office. Actually, it did. It actually did worse than the films we're talking about. So it had a forty million dollar budget, and it only made back thirty two million. Ouch! Oh, too bad. Yeah, it's it's a, it's unfortunate because uh, it's such a it's such a gem. I I think if you're a fan of like films like because uh, actually Danny Boyle said uh, the films like Alien. Solaris and 2001 A Space Odyssey like inspired him to make this and when you watch the film you're going to be like well duh <laughs> like what else it clearly <laughs> takes a lot from Solaris yeah yeah one really annoying thing and I should probably let you guys know about this so uh the people that did the home distribution of this blu-ray of this movie really fucked up big time so on the blu-ray for Sunshine there's on-screen commentary from one of the filmmakers, like not the director. It was like one of the art department pe- people where you, f- you click it on. And then as the movie is playing, it'll mute out. And then a sidebar on the bottom will pop up of this guy talking about how like, you know, they designed the ship or like, you know, all this all- stuff on all the playstations. Like, and that's including three and four and maybe even five. The on-screen commentary is locked in the on position the whole time. And you can't shut it off. That's horrible. So you have to play the movie in a regular Blu-ray. You need you need to play the movie in a regular Blu-ray in order for it to have like the off and on. But the fucking if you play it in a PlayStation, like a Sony one, it's like it's locked in the on position the whole time, and you can't shut it off. So there's no point in fucking owning it if all you have is a PlayStation. Oh, that's terrible! Wow. And they had yet, and they had yet, and and they didn't even do like a proper like you know uh, like recall on it and start to develop new copies because they're actually like rare to find. So I kind of own I kind of own this movie just for the sake of saying you know, well I I usually own the movies that I love, but I can't I can but I can rarely watch it because I don't own a regular Blu-ray. But however, you can watch it on Disney Plus. You can watch this film on Disney Plus, no problem. It has great sound design and it it's it's properly restored no annoying commentary <laughs> amazing i i gotta check that out that's cool you, you it will definitely be like number one if not the best like one of those movies because when you mentioned the core and i i also mentioned armageddon this is like the smarter version of those films right and it's made by a quality filmmaker and i'm just surprised it doesn't get talked about enough i think it's wonderful i think it's 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 again my type of sci-fi that's all i can say for my next pick we're going to the year 2002 now uh full disclosure i am a huge robin williams fan i was listening when he passed away i was in tears it's one Mm -hmm. i have only cried over two celebrity deaths in my entire life robin williams and carrie fisher um yeah i also took robin williams death really hard actually later on that day i can't i yeah i just remember like wow a guy that i was i watched a lot in my childhood is gone in the most tragic way well uh of course when he died uh film buffs and youtube film buffs took to the internet to basically give top 10 his top 10 movies none of no top 10 list of robin williams's work that I've seen contains this movie, and I'm saddened by that. Death to Smoochie is a 2002 yes. black comedy starring, directed by Danny DeVito and starring Robin Williams, 
Edward Norton and Catherine Keener and uh, John Stewart has a bit part in it. Robert Prowski has a bit part. Harvey Firestein has a bit part. Danny DeVito's in Danny it. Danny DeVito's in it, yep. Um, uh, this is a fantastic flick. I kind of walked in on Lyle. Like, Lyle had rented it from the library, and he's like, hey, oh, it has Robin Williams. Like, oh, I haven't seen this Robin Williams movie. I'll check it out. I had no idea what to expect because I had <laughs> never heard of this movie before. But, like... Ten minutes in, like, Lyle and I are... We're not on drugs. We're not, like, drunk or anything. Like, I'm sober. I'm completely straight. We are howling, just laughing at this movie. It's... the pl- Okay, so I, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. The plot is basically this. Robin Williams play... Now, Cody, you have not seen Death to Smoochie, right? No, and I actually feel bad because... the. the- <laughs> I, you guys talk so highly about it, and I just watched the trailer earlier today, and I'm like, I I want to hit myself because this looks so funny, and I'm so sad and that I haven't seen this, so I feel like I'm going to be the odd man out here, so I'm going to tap out, but I highly want to watch it. I, I It's in my list. <laughs> we're going to have to like do a double movie night next time we all hang out, where uh, we're going to watch uh, the, rundown, the Rundown Followed by Death is Moochie. Does that sound like a good combo? That sounds good. Yeah. Okay, so like, yeah, that sounds an, good. Action, <laughs> a, an action followed by a comedy. You know, it, it sounds like a lot of fun. And maybe Dick. Yeah. So we're going to have a three-way and end it with Dick. The jokes never end. It just keeps coming. God damn it! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this movie Death to Smoochie kind of gave me like sideshow Bob vibes. No, no, no. After the first two minutes, I'm like, is this a Krusty the Clown biopic? Because get this, this is the plot. The plot is basically this: Uh, if you are a fan of you know movies about making movies or movies about making television or just movies about showbiz like I am, you're going to get a real kick out of this. So Robin Williams plays this celebrated children's entertainer. Uh, think Mr. Rogers. Or more like Pee Wee Herman. Pee Wee Herman uh, or like a Barney the Dinosaur. Actually, no, it, it's kind of like if this movie kind of reminds me of like if Pee Wee Herman and Barney the Dinosaur went to war with each other, like over the children's network. Yeah, exactly. So this is how it works. Um, Rainbow Randolph, played by Robin Williams, is one of the most beloved children's entertainers ever. His show actually looks like it would be a lot of fun if it exists in real life. Fortunately, off-camera, the guy is a seedy prick. He makes backdoor deals with the Irish Mafia, and that will come up later. But the he gets busted for like some for for like money la- a money laundering scheme, and his career is destroyed. Like in the first five minutes, this guy is hashtag canceled. So. Uh, Rainbow Randolph is just gone, so his show's canceled. Uh, his life and career are destroyed. And what happened? Hilar- so, Catherine Keener and John Stewart have to find a replacement to fill his time slot on the network. So, Catherine Keener goes to uh, the southwest, the southeast end of Brooklyn, or the, the the shady part of Coney Island, where Edward Norton plays this entertainer named Smoochie where he's literally like a rhinoceros in a bad a bad like you know theme park animal rhinoceros but he plays guitar and she finds him uh, in an AA meeting just you know helping drug addicts uh, and he's just singing like you know these really friendly folkish songs to them (laughs) and 
she says, hey, you're a really good guy. We want you to come and lead the kids show. And we're going to call We're going to rebrand it. We're going to make it all about Smoochie. Um, Edward Norton is completely naive and does not understand the concept of, you know, showrunners meddling with his creativity. He's just like, I want to create the best project product possible for the kiddies. <laughs> and he's so, like, laid back and so nice. He's but... so wholesome. Yeah, and then... Where ne- everyone else is shitty, but the, he's like... The network just has dollar signs in their eyes, but surprisingly, despite the fact that he butts heads with Catherine Keener all the time, the show becomes a monster success... Much to the jealousy of <laughs> Rainbow of Rainbow fucking Randolph. I'm Rainbow fucking Randolph. So he in one of these guy the the whole movie is essentially about these two ch- child entertainers, one rising in in fame, the other one a complete disgrace. They have a feud with each other, and Robin Williams strikes the draws first blood by. <laughs> he sneaks onto this into this onto the set because the whole kids show is live, right? Yeah. So he sneaks into the kids show, tampers with the prop department. He uh, the, he's about uh, Robin uh, Edward Norton is in his smoochy rhino costume on the show, and he's like, "Hey kids, let's have a cookie!" And they get the cookie, get and, the and cookie, get the cookie. He, he get puts cookie. like a cookie in the shape of a dong. And a dick. A dick. Yeah. <laughs> is this the dick episode? Yeah, that? we're. They, full, yeah, this is officially renamed the dick episode. Okay. At least it's not the Andy Dick episode. Let's talk about dick, baby. Let's talk about poo and pee. <laughs> Anyways, uh, he pulls out the the dick cookie, and Robin Williams is like, <laughs> he's ruined. It's like it's a it's, it's a, a rocket it's a rocket ship. It's a rocket ship. And he, and Robin Williams just goes like. Fuck! <laughs> and then he away. storms onto the set saying, That's not a rocket ship! That's a rocket ship! That's a dick with balls! I you weirdos! <laughs> and then, like, he's doing this while the show is live, and security has to drag him. I feel like we're just ruining the what is well, one of the best a, scenes a, in the movie. That's a taste. That's a taste no, of what's going the movie, the, I hope that this is, that that's not, that, that thankfully isn't the funniest scene in the movie. There's way <laughs> funnier stuff that I'm not going to spoil for you, but here's what I'm going to say. I'm 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 so depressed. I want to watch this movie. You guys look like you're having a blast quoting it. So the war, the war between um, uh, Smoochie and Rainbow Randolph, you know, j- the feud just keeps going, and uh, it gets to its big boiling point where the Irish Mafia gets involved and actually sets up a hit on Smoochie. So that's hence the title, Death to Smoochie. So. Uh, will Smoochie and Rainbow <laughs> Randolph be able to team up against the greater, will against the common solve, enemy? Will they, uh, settle their differences or go to war? Yeah, find out. So why do you find this movie so underrated, Evan? Well, it bombed, and, uh... I remember when I showed this to my mom, it's like, I want to see this, and she was, like, outright, like, no, it's a bad movie. Don't watch it. What, what did she watch it and was, like, disappointed by I it? I guess so. This was around the time where Robin Williams was trying to get outside of his comedy bubble into more, like, nefarious It, it is true, because he did, in 2002, Robin Williams did two movies. He did Death of Smoochie, and he also did uh, 
one, one hour photo, which is Whoa. a which is a thriller film. And yeah, that's that's scary, Robin Williams. Yeah, no, like Robin Williams being scary. That's because uh, Robin Williams. We know Robin Williams can do dramatic. We know he can do comedy. We also learned in two thousand two that he can do horror. But Death to Smoochie, I feel like you know it had the star power because already uh, thanks to Fight Club and American History X, Edward Norton was a household name. Robin Williams was a household name. Should have been a hit. It wasn't. I feel like it was because the comedy was grounded in meta humor. Now I love meta humor. I I loved meta humor before meta humor was considered cool. That's probably why when I was a kid. I was la- my friends, my buddies, and I showed actually introduced me to the movie Big Fat Liar just because uh, it looked like a kids movie. But I was laughing at parts of the movie they weren't laughing, specifically the meta humor in Big Fat Liar. But Death to Smoochie, which came out the same year as Big Fat Liar, is like meta even more so, and I just love it for that. Uh, this movie was ahead of its time. I feel like if it came out today, it would have done a lot better. Like, if, if there was a similar premise. Uh, and, yeah, no. Great star power. Amazing direction. It's a, it's a very stylish-looking film. It feels like, you know, Danny DeVito was emulating Tim Burton a little bit. And, um, yeah, no. I, I, I just... Uh, I recommend this movie. If you're a fan of Robin Williams, this, I... I do not understand why this didn't make any top ten lists of Robin Williams fans. Because, like, this is easily, like, in my top five Robin Williams films that I've seen so far. So He's just such an angry ball of frustration most well, of the movie. it was pretty rare because, well, in one hour photo, he plays a villain. Oh, this sounds hilarious. This sounds so fucking funny. I... To watch Rob, to watch Robin Williams in a in a hilarious yelling farce, I'm like, please sign me up. I need to watch this right now. Like, it's kind of weird. And seeing Edward Norton in this, I'm so used to him playing like really disturbed people or like. But he's really, the friendliest guy really ever. Really crooked people, but he's so ungodly wholesome in this, yeah. and I'm kind of put off by it. Yeah, uh, I do, I I do have a bit of a negative. Uh, so. One of my uh, dear colleagues and friends, uh, who I have a very close working relationship with to this day, she was working in the wardrobe that Death to Smoochie was partially filmed in, and also did some of the costumes. And she uh, was she actually she had she told me a story of how Danny DeVito offered her a cigarette on set, and also she told me a story about how Edward Norton was actually crazy micromanaging this. So, well, he always does that. Yeah, no, no. Edward Norton apparently, like, oh, on, no. on camera, he was really wholesome and really sweet. Off camera, he was a dick. So I think Birdman is the most. Yeah. Auto- uh, I think Birdman is the most autobiographical film about Edward Norton. Ever. Well, no, I feel like that's literally Edward Norton playing himself. You got that right. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's too bad. That's why he was so perfect in that role. <laughs> it's almost typecast. <laughs> if you could separate, you know, the onset stories from what you see on the screen, it's a wonderful movie. Edward Norton is great, despite his his real life flaws. He he is great in that, and the movie turns out really really well. It was the right stuff made at the wrong time. That's really all I can say about Death to Smoochie. Um, definitely check it out if you are a Robin Williams fan or just a comedy fan in general. 
uh, it's the movie for you. And if you like black comedies, this is, you know, the black comedy that you've been and waiting for. And if you for. like movies about the making of film or television or stuff that's shot behind the scenes, then take a look at this one. It's really funny. That was a good pick, Evan. I, told, I wholeheartedly agree. Everyone should watch Death of Smoochie. Thank you. Uh, I, I, I'm the number one in line. I want to be the first one to watch it. God willing, uh, this weekend maybe we'll, we'll we'll talk. All right, all right, all right. So guys, look at those assholes over there. Ordinary fucking people. Ordinary man spends his day getting out of tense situations, but repo men spend their lives getting into tense situations. Oh boy! I am of course talking about probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Not one of the greatest movies of all time. It's certainly one film that just struck such a chord with me that I recommend it to virtually everyone I meet. And this film is, of course, Repo Man. Directed by Alex Cox, a true punk legend of cinema. Hey, Cox, we're back to dick. Oh my uh, god. Fuck's sakes, guys. I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> I'm gonna strangle all of you. I will grab a 12-inch dildo and strangle all of you. Whoa, kinky. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Hey, not, hey, hey, too far. 13. Okay. 13. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're horrible okay. people. Okay. Okay. A little bit of context. Um, I went into this movie 100% blind. I saw it on a shelf because I had your HMV, I believe. Because oh, nice. Uh, I asked my dad to get me the Criterion of this because it looked really cool. I was I was kind of getting into the punk scene. It wasn't something I was always into, but I was like working a crummy job. I had a lot of anger issues, and I found punk music to be rather therapeutic. I was listening to a lot of like Black Flag and like. Uh, a lot of descendants and i was like i kind of want to check this out it looks up my alley and uh i got it for christmas and the, as soon as i put it in from start to finish i was just like this was made for me this was a movie that totally resonated every <laughs> single part of my personality and um i mean we all have we i mean we well we all do have like films that feel like they're tailor-made for us exactly there's always that one that really strikes a chord of people mine of course would be this film called uh norbit norbit Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. All right, yeah, moving, on, on, moving on, on, moving on, yeah, no, moving on. Bad joke. It's not the worst joke we've told tonight, but yes, yeah. yes, okay, okay. How do I? Okay, so yeah, I, I, I've been waxing poetically. I gotta get into the story of this. It's a little hard to break down because this movie is irrevocably weird. <laughs> it's a very weird movie, so I have to kind of break it down. Basically, the idea is. Emilio Estevez, in his very first starring role, he was in The Outsiders, but he was a supporting character. This is his first yeah, time as a lead. Yeah, 2-Bit Matthews. 2-Bit Matthews. He was in The Outsiders, but afterwards, Alex Cox saw him, and then he's like, I gotta have this kid in my movie. And he's just like, he plays this nihilistic punk named Otto. And he, you know, he, he has such a, he's having such a bad go of things. He lost his job. His best friend from Juvie just, like, stole his girl. He's... He works at a grocery store like me, too. <laughs> or... Otto, we've noticed you haven't been paying attention to the way you've been stacking your cans. Many men your age would look forward to having a job like this. <laughs> best firing, best quitting the job scene ever. He's just like, fuck you. Shoves Napoleon Dynamite aside and just like throws his bow tie and flips off his boss. That, that sounds like uh, how Walter White quits his job in the pilot of Breaking Bad. Yeah, but, uh, okay, that one, I'll get Fuck that you, Bob Andrew Eyebrows! Wax this! Write down this! 
Yeah, there's a with someone should make a list of the best movies about a guy quitting his job because that, that that's great. Uh, yeah, yeah. Fun fact: this movie did actually inspire Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, oh. Alex Cox. Oh. Yeah. I did not. I did not read up on that when I was doing a certain coming up pop talk. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kevin the nerd. Guys like, oh, freaking. I'm not a singing guy. Why so tense, guy? Anyway, so like after losing all that, uh, Otto bumps into Harry Dean Stanton's bud, who's a Repo Man. And he offers, uh, he offers uh, Otto, like, uh, hey, kid, I'll give you ten bucks if you escort this car. Anyway, we gotta get out of this area. It's the bad area. It's like, fuck you, queer. It's like, no, it's not like that. Get this car out of here, and I'll pay you $25. And he's like, okay, fine. And he gets hooked into this world of uh, repossession. And it's like, you're able to legally steal cars from people who don't pay up on their... Who don't pony up on their payments. Now, I would like to be clarified that this movie, Repo Man, when you were recommending it to me, I thought, oh, you want me to watch that bad, to- that lame 2010 yeah. movie where Jude Law and, and Forrest Whitaker, yeah. Whitaker go around sucking people's organs out of their bodies yeah, when saw, they can't pay their yeah, bills? Yeah, I saw that movie Not too. Not the same thing. Years later, I saw that movie. I'm like, no. Repo Man's the definitive Repo, repo. Man, not Repo Men. No, no, just singular. Although, Repo the Genetic Opera is very good. It's a much better story than Repo Men, even though they're quite similar, but it's better, so watch yeah. that one. I recommend that one instead. <laughs> Back to the thing. So, like, Otto kind of gets enamored with the idea of becoming a Repo Man because it's kind of like, he's like an outlaw. He's, he's like, he's, he's being... He's able to break the law and just kind of have fun and make money on the side. And he thinks it's cool. He's kind of gaining a sense of independence from it. And it's all going well. But there's one vehicle that's on that's very hot. Very, very hot. It's a, it's a 1964 Chevy Malibu. Came out from the, the Mojave Desert. And it's driven by a mad scientist named Dr. Frank Parnell. And no one knows what is in the car, but there's something in the trunk that's very, very, uh, secretive and dangerous. And he's driving all throughout L.A. trying to get his contact, and everyone in the city wants this car. I'm talking the Repo Men, other Repo Men who are from rival companies, the FBI, a UFO conspiracy cult. Wow. And a couple of punks that are friends with Otto. Like, everyone wants this goddamn car. And that's, that's kind of, it's kind of like the MacGuffin that drives this story for most of the movie until we kind of realize that this thing is a lot more than anyone bargained for. And that's, that's, that's kind of mostly the plot of Repo Man. But what's really great about it is, I, I, the reason why I find it underrated is that the 80s were full of movies that really gained, like, a cult following over time, especially with the works of John Carpenter. Like, everything he made just turned into cult cinema, like, classics, like The Thing and all that. But, um... I find Repo Man's kind of unsung in the terms of like an '80s cult film. It's it's known, and it's clearly it's clearly as an audience, it's on Criterion and it sells quite well. But I find that it's it's just not talked enough about, and I like it because it has so much personality, and it's like it's certifiably quotable and kind of kind of clever in a way. It, it really marks a lot of satire about how life was back then in the '80s with like. Reaganomics and like 
this burgeoning like punk movement that was going on in LA at the time and like the gig economy that was becoming more of a thing. Mm. And yeah, everyone's kind of like trying to sucker each other into gain gain ahead in life. And that's what I like about it. And I've I've met so many people in my life who remind me of characters in this movie. The characters are fantastic all across the board. Probably my favorite character in the movie is like uh, Tracy Walter. If you don't know who he is, he was a uh, Joker's henchman in uh, the Batman movie. He plays a uh, he plays a guy called Miller. By the way, every character in this movie is named after beer, and it's hilarious. You got oh. Bud, Light, <laughs> Ollie, Miller. <laughs> it's great. All the Reaper men are named after beer. I love it. And um, uh, <laughs> he's like he has this existential scene where he quotes philosophy. He's like, you ever think there's a lattice of coincidence? You ever think played a plate of shrimp? And there it is, days later. No rhyme, no reason. No reason to find one either. <laughs> and uh, the more you drive, the less intelligent you are. There's so many lines that he spouts out or just that are ingrained in my head. It's mm -hmm. it's wickedly quotable. But um, the soundtrack is largely um, a lot of song. I, I I will talk about the soundtrack in another episode. But like, I, I just want to give a quick cliff notes. It's just essentially. The ground, the groundwork that laid out the '80s LA scene, uh, especially in the punk unit, and it was just so, so uh, popular at that time that it actually helped the movie in a way that I'll get into in a later episode. But um, it's not for everyone. I realize that I've shown this movie to everyone, and most people are kind of like, "It's okay," or it's like, "It's pretty good." But I, I, I encourage people. That that and and that and that's me. <laughs> that's me. I think it's like. I think I'm like right in the middle between it's okay and it's pretty good. It's like it's just it's fine. It's a fine movie. I think yeah, yeah. it's I I think it's decent. Uh, although there's a, there's some heart to it that I I get a little more out of it every time uh, Lyle and I watch together. Uh, f fun fact: um, because these movies are we, this movie earned uh, uh, a place in his heart as one of his favorites from the '80s, and Top Gun's one of my favorites from the '80s. Lyle and I kind of have this uh, tradition where once a year. Once a year for the past three years, we've watched, uh, three or four years, we've watched Top Gun and, uh, and Repo Man back to back, or if failing back to back within 24 hours of each other. Yeah, so yeah. like one night we'll watch T Repo Man, the next night we'll watch Top Gun. Yeah, because so. like, it's, it's our favorite movie from the, the, the decade. Yeah. And, um... I think oh, for side side note. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to interrupt. I apologize. Uh, side note, Evan, you need to watch this documentary on Amazon Prime called Val. It's about Val Kilmer. Uh, you, I, heard about I, that. I saw your letterbox review of it. Um, apparently, it's it has he he filmed his entire career with a home video camera, and he has literally every single well not every single movie but he has like b-roll footage filmed by him personally on the set of top gun like never before seen footage and i'd, I'd highly recommend it to you knowing how much you love it uh i will say this do you know that uh uh he did not want to be in top gun but uh he was forced to due to a contractual obligation with paramount yep that he go he goes into that in the dock or in the dock yeah 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 yeah, yeah. So go, sorry, go ahead, go ahead, uh, Lyle, go, sorry. Go, go back, and like, I understand, like, maybe you guys are, like, a lot of people I show it to, at the first, the first time they watch it, they kind of don't really get it, and I get, that's how I kind of felt when I first watched it. I've seen this movie 50 goddamn times, and every time I watch it, I find <laughs> something new. It's almost like Edgar Wright or something, I pick up details, 
I started understanding character links a bit better, and the ending feels a bit more sat more satisfying each and every time. Great, great, great score, by the way. It's done by the, this band called, this uh, Chicano rock band called The Plugs. Excellent final song. It's called uh, Real 10. Check it out. But, um, yeah, it's just like I can't seem to find anything quite like this movie. I think the closest I get is, like, watching stuff by James Gunn. Like, this irreverence and this, like, heavy, this nice layered soundtrack that really adds to the experience and these really, like these really seedy people getting what they want through, like, not-so-nice means. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's bringing a personality, and I would highly, uh... I'm really trying to think of, like, what kind of movie... Now that you mentioned, like, a movie that's tailor-made for me, like, my favorite movie of all time is The Shawshank Redemption, but I'm not quite sure if... I love it for the themes and for its imagery. I'm not quite sure if it's tailor-made, like, a movie for me, like, it represents all the things that i like all the parts of my personality that i like so i'm trying to think wait wait wait, wait. I, I i i think i remember us having a conversation about this and you did mention there was a movie that was tailor-made for you uh, wasn't it uh jack and jill <laughs> got, i'll be right back he got you there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's gonna shit himself ah. it's raining action <laughs> figures okay okay Okay, we're back. <laughs> and we're back. Rip, rip, Cody. Rip, Cody. He's gone. Uh, I took care of him. You ripped him a new one. Yeah. yeah. People just explode. <laughs> Natural causes. Um, one thing I love about this movie is like, this is my one of my last points. One of the things I absolutely love about this movie is okay. that when I find people who actually have heard of it and they love it as much as I do, it's a beautiful thing. I remember one time I was reading a script with uh, Evan and a friend of his, Sean Stokes, who's been on the show, and I compared his script to Repo Man, and uh, one of his friends, uh, Ho Anderson, yeah, uh, just was like, oh, Repo Man! I'm like, yeah! You know what I'm talking about! And uh, recently, I went to the beer store. I have a Repo Man shirt that I'm wearing right now, actually. It's one of my favorite shirts of all time now. Nice. And uh, I was just dumping cans in a bin, and then he was just like, dude, I love your shirt! I'm like, oh. You, you know what this is? It's like, yeah! It's one of the most kick-ass movies of all time. I'm like, yeah, it's one of the most underrated movies of all time. It's like, fucking, it's more than underrated. It's like a pure gem. And it's like, yes! There are people <laughs> like awesome. me. There are people like me out here. There's aliens out my, here that exist. My friend and colleague, Scott Dobson, also is a big fan of this movie. Yeah, no, I, I could talk about this movie for like 20 hours straight, yeah. but I don't want to. I want to be fair. But it's just right. like, it's something I always put on at least okay. every two months. Cody, I feel like uh, the boss is going to order you to do a pop talk on Repo Man eventually. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Cody doesn't love yeah. We talk about movies we love, and Cody likes it, and I'm happy. Oh, no. Oh, no. Studio interference. <laughs> it's just crazy to me that an oddity like this can exist and be in the hands of some people and can really appreciate it. That's the power of cult films. A regular movie is something that a thousand people will watch maybe once, but a cult film is something maybe like a couple people will watch a thousand times, and that's that's what I love about cult. That's why I'm a cult connoisseur, because they, they click in my head a lot more than some things I watch in theaters nowadays. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah. you know yeah. what? At the end of the day, what's, what, what, what is a quote I can end on here? The quote let's, just, let's just go commit crimes like go eat sushi and not pay
All right. Oh my! I, now I mention it. My uncle also knows of this movie, and that's the line he knows. Everyone go, likes that line. Let's, like, go, eat let's go eat sushi and not pay. Okay. Sushi, yeah, it's expensive. <laughs> skip, okay. skip out on that. Just order <laughs> there is no online. <laughs> this is the 80s, man. What's, the, what's the internet? You ever feel like your mind is about to erode? Okay. All right. So <laughs> let's carry on, Cody. We're on our last round. The night. It's funny. It's funny. I've noticed a theme with both of both of you with your picks tonight. It seems like Evan likes comedies that has something to say about either society or politics, and Evan or and Lyle, you seem to have like a little affectionation over movies that are crazy and are starring misfits. Where are you? Oh, just you wait until I talk about my last one. <laughs> My last one's a comedy as well. Oh, there you go. And then there's me with my eclectic taste in movies where you're like, how the fuck does this feel like that? And how does this feel like that? I don't know. That's just who I am. Maybe I I don't have my... I, yeah, I got crazy variety. I, I Maybe I, I... I don't know. Maybe I just don't... I, I don't have myself figured out yet. I don't know. But that kind of segues very nicely. Speaking of not knowing who you are my last pick of the night is a film again from 2007 called into the wild and it's based on a true and it's based on a true story about uh sorry it's based on a true story but the the story itself was adapted into a book by the author uh, john krakener i think that's how you pronounce his name and the story is, it's about a, a young man named Christopher McCandless, who was a graduate from high school. Sorry, he was a graduate from uh, college, my mistake. And similar to Benjamin from The Graduate, he has no idea what to do with his life, even after graduating. And it doesn't go in a way where it's, you know, Mrs. Uh, Robinson shows up and wants to seduce him. No, 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 no. It goes in a much different way. Instead of Christopher not really knowing what to do with his life in terms of career, he doesn't know who he is personally. So the story goes that he completely like vanished off the face of the earth purposely, got rid of his bank cards, took out all the cash, like went out as far as he can with his car, but then ditched his car. And he went on this like epic walk of life journey to Alaska uh, all on foot just trying to get that taste of life in the nature. And he eventually does, I'm not going to spoil it too much, but he eventually does make it there. That's how the movie actually starts because he makes it to Alaska and he settles uh, in shelter in this like abandoned bus that was just purged there in the woods. And he just self reflects on his journey throughout the whole time. Uh, the film was actually written and directed by Sean Penn. Oh, wow. Yeah, Sean Penn was obsessed with this story. It's a story that happened in like the early 90s. And he, for years, was just really trying to adapt this book. But because the family of Christopher McCandless didn't really want to like have this be on film, then they just kept turning it down. They just kept turning it down. They didn't know if they were ready or not to see this, like, this story come to life. But eventually, they warmed up and they knew that like Sean Penn believed in it because he was so passionate about it. 
And to be honest with you guys, I haven't read the book yet, but I've seen a lot of lists that this movie is actually comparable to To Kill a Mockingbird in terms of how the book and the movie are almost like identical. Like it's a great, properly adapted source of material. Like they hardly make any changes, really. They just almost do it like beat for beat and line for line. Um, the story, the so this cast is actually Emil, sorry, Emil Hirsch. Yeah, that's how he pronounce his name. Emil Hirsch plays Christopher in the movie, and his parents are played by uh, Marcia Gay Harden and William Hurt. And all the various people that he meets on the way that we follow, it bounces around between like Captain Keener, Vince Vaughn, uh, Hal Hobrick, um, Kristen Stewart. It's just, it's a very, very like, wow, they're in this and they do a really great dramatic job in it. And like the small roles that they have. I'm sorry, Joko, you know what this is reminding me of? Um, I, and I haven't seen Into the Wild. To be perfectly honest, I, I had it confused a second with uh, that Reese Witherspoon movie, but that was called Wild, my mistake. Uh, yeah, I knew one of you were going to bring this up. I was expecting that to happen. <laughs> the plot that you're describing reminds me of uh, the... 2020 best picture winner nomadland where like you just have a, a character going around the country just meeting different people everywhere she goes or yeah well first of all i haven't i haven't seen wild and i was kind of turned off by it knowing how similar the premise was to into the wild so i actually haven't seen it and trust me and trust me guys uh a lot more happens in into the wild than nomadland i mean fine movie but like Fine movie, but No Man Land is just very fly on the wall, and like not much happens in it that's interesting. Into the Wild, Into the Wild is underrated because it came out in two thousand seven, and despite it only being nominated for best editing and best supporting actor from Hal Hobrick, the movie really didn't get. It's like the reason why I think it's underrated is because it's actually different than my other two picks. It's because um. It, it did make money. It, it it did fine in the box office. It made profit. But people just say it's good. And I just disagree with people in saying that. I think it's a masterpiece, actually. It's actually one of the most underrated films I've ever seen. It's in my top ten. It's a story that impacted me emotionally. And I think it just got buried at a time that, like, There Will Be Blood and No Country for Old Men were just ranking up the the critics you know lists and this one just kind of got buried and uh you know what fuck it i'm gonna get kind of personal here uh so one of the very first movies that i think i've ever recalled seeing as even as like a, like a young child was uh sesame street presents follow that bird it's a movie just about it's a movie about Bi uh, big bird who gets adopted by these dodos and then he thinks that they're absolutely batshit crazy that he's like i want to go back to sesame street and he like walks back and he like meets people on the, uh, like people on the way, and they kind of like he he impacts their lives in ways that he didn't even expect, you know. Like the whole the whole cat, almost the whole cast of SCTV makes a cameo in it, but that's whatever. But it's kind of beside the point. And then eventually, Pee Wee's Big Adventure is like one of my absolute favorite fucking movies ever. I've seen it like God knows how many times. I know it verbatim. Another movie about a character that goes on just a journey of, well, not a really self-discovery, just more of like, I need to find my bike. <laughs> but he meets people on the way that he kind of changes their lives in ways that he didn't expect. But then there's Into the Wild that really does fall into those same lines. But not only is it just based on a true story, 
I remember watching this movie and just feeling like my life was a, a bit changed. And I really felt like that punch of inspiration where I feel like I wanted to, I want to do this type of quest. I want to just drop my phone and just step away from everything sometimes and just walk out into nature. That's probably why I just love being in nature and just being kind of in tune with like the surroundings of just like, just getting that breath of just like the wild essentially. And when this film came out, it was, or when I, sorry, when I first saw this film, I was like so caught off guard by it because I had never seen a film that impacted me so much. Um, that I just kept kind of just kept watching it over and over again. And then eventually I come up with an idea for a movie that kind of falls under the same sort of, um, sort of pre not, not premise, but kind of idea of these movies where they're kind of, uh, about self-discovery and also meeting people on the way. But my idea kind of has a bit of a spin to it, but I won't get into that, but you guys know about it. <laughs> um, the the film is also has a very great soundtrack that I was very sad in that it's not going to make the list in a in a very soon uh, so to speak we're going to be doing on soundtracks, but it didn't make the list. It was very close, but it's a folk album that's done by Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam. Nice. Ah, cool. So his baritone voice and the acoustic guitar is literally like a character in this film. He like really sings just the internal just feelings that Christopher is going through. It's very well done. There's like songs like uh, you probably know the song like Hard Sun. That's that was kind of like a radio hit at the time. Uh, there's that there's one great song guaranteed. It's kind of like the theme to the movie, actually. Uh, Society. Um, yeah, plenty of other ones. And. I when I watch this film, I just feel so in tuned with like life and nature and finding yourself and meeting people on the way. And they kind of like there's like this deep connection where you're kind of helping them out and they're helping you out. And watching the film, you can almost see like I, I almost feel like the resonance of pure nature just coming off the screen just from its absolute gorgeous cinematography. There's very like unconventional camera work too. Like I think uh, Sean Penn does a really creative job with some of the camera angles in this movie, but it's also like very intimate and very like primal and personal as well. It's very locked down. It's very, um, it's it's just very in tune with what the film is about. It's it, it's not made just to be like, oh look at me, I'm making a movie. It's really it really puts you into what Christopher is going through throughout this whole film. And I, I just personally, I, it's the, I, this might be one of the most underrated movies I could ever talk about. And I'd be so glad to be on another, you know, uh, underrated movies, part two and part three, because there's just so many to count really, you know, like it's, but th this is definitely up there with one. I, I, I've, I've shown this to a few of my friends and they either really like it to, if not loving the film and they had never even heard of it or seen it. So Haha, -ha, maybe I got you two on this. <laughs> Just it's kind of long. It's kind of long. It's like two and a half hours, but it's a great character study. It's a great just dramatic adventure, really. And uh I I I have a feeling it might touch you. Maybe not touch maybe not maybe not touch your dick, but no, we have to do that. <laughs> From this point forward, next person makes a dick joke. 
owes money to the dick jar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it no, that's me that's. Of, I, sorry, it say it again. Reminds, it kind of reminds me of a Gus Van Sant movie. Oh, which one? Uh, I'm looking. I'm looking. There's a trilogy he made. Aren't like, you not the outside Goodwill Hunting? You kind of have a bit of a pee. I, I I love Elephant. That's my favorite movie. I thought so. So Elephant, Goodwill Hunting, everything else he made can fuck off. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. I don't like him very much. Yeah. But uh, there's this one movie he made called Jerry, which was like these two guys stranded in a desert. Oh yes, I know about this movie. It's with uh, Casey Affleck and Matt Damon, where they're just walking in a desert the whole film. Yeah. yeah. Kind of feels like that. Yeah. No, no, no. Trust me, there's way there's way more of a narrative. There's way more... I've just... I... I it, it's, not a, it's not a slow film. I, I honestly don't think it's a, a boring film in the least bit. There's always something... Not exciting. There's just something very, like, entrancing about the film in terms of it just being, like, a... An adventure. I, I don't know. I can't really say anything about it. I don't want to ruin it too much, but I just have to let you guys experience it. But it's uh it's in my top it's in my top ten movies of all time. Hey, That's all I can say. Talk about our top 10. That's great. Cool. <laughs> awesome. And not a lot of people to and not not a lot of people talk about it, so I, I go from talking about a an action comedy to a psychological sci fi film to just a dramatic adventure. That's my eclectic taste for the night. Thank you, and fuck off. I'm good. <laughs> we shall fuck off indeed. Okay, so, so we gotta talk about ours first. Now, uh, yes. my next underrated comedy of the night is... Uh, it's an underrated movie that happens to star the most beloved cartoon characters ever created by human hands. Oh, yeah. Case in point... Uh, 2003, we got Looney Tunes back in action. Now, guys, what's the first movie that people think of when they think live action, Looney Tunes gelling with live action uh, people? Uh, who framed Roger Rabbit? <laughs> oh, yeah, uh... I wish I could agree with you, and I do. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. Isn't it that movie that has jam, and it takes place in space? Yeah, intergalactic jelly. Uh, You're thinking of Independence Day. (laughs) Oh, that's what it was. Yes, there we go. The The best thing to come out of 1996. Yes. Okay, so... While Space Jam, as we've discussed on our Space Jam double feature yeah. episode, unfortunately... Which I was so brokenhearted that I didn't join, but, that, but go on. <laughs> Space Jam is... Space Jam is a movie that features the Looney Tunes interacting with live-action people, the likes of Michael Jordan and Wayne Knight and Bill Murray. Unfortunately, that movie... Despite the fact that it's a commercial lie, it's basically a commercial for yeah. for a bunch of products, and the voice acting of the Looney Tunes isn't that good. Uh, that is the the one movie that features the Looney Tunes that people look back on with rose tinted goggles, and they think it's like the greatest movie the Looney Tunes are ever in. No, no, no! I'm here to tell you, you are wrong, ladies and gentlemen, who think Space Jam is the best live action appearance the Looney Tunes are ever in. 
Looney Tunes back in action is the best live action appearance of the Looney Tunes, and I'll tell you why. I still think Who Framed Roger Rabbit is better, but you're you're, okay. you're right. Oh no, I, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? <laughs> okay, I feel like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, they're, they're cameos. Who Framed Roger Rabbit was the first of its kind where they they blended. I'm gonna. Just, uh, here's a hot and unpopular take. Who Framed Roger Rabbit was cool and revolutionary with the way they gelled, you know, humans with cartoon characters. It, but there, if you watch some shots of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, there are, like, some bits where, like, the animation doesn't really gel with the live-action movements. In Looney Tunes Back in Action, it gels much better. And there's a reason for oh, that. action scenes, yeah. Yeah, so here's the premise. Um, uh, Daffy Duck is slated to be in a Looney Tunes movie, in a Bugs Bunny movie, and he... Big Shock is not happy with the fact that he keeps getting his beak blown off every two scenes. So he picks a fight with the studio executives and they give him the boot. So uh, it's he runs duck amuck on the set. See what I did there? <laughs> no, gu- no, duck a gu- duck amuck is my favorite Daffy Duck. <laughs> duck amuck is my favorite Daffy Duck cartoon of all time. So anyway, so anyway, so. Uh, Daffy Duck gets completely booted from the Warner Brothers lot, and in the process of him, you know, fucking shit up, he gets this innocent-looking security guard, played by Brendan Fraser, fired, and, um, so he crashes at Brendan Fraser's house, who, uh, he's living on his dad's couch for some reason, and his dad, uh, is a dude named Damian Drake, played by one of the Bonds, uh, Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton. Turns out that while Timothy Dalton was this big spy movie actor, turns out he actually is a spy in real life. What a twist. <laughs> yeah, so, um, he, tr- uh, he basically t- gives his son, uh, Damian to, no, he gives his son, D- DJ is Brandon Fraser, Damian Drake is played by Timothy Dalton, sorry. So, uh, he tells his son DJ to get his ass to Las Vegas because, you know, there is a very valuable diamond that the Acme Corporation is trying to steal. As soon as Daffy Duck hears the word a diamond, he's like diamond and dollar signs in his eyes. He like, he sees it as his next get rich quick opportunity. So he goes on a spy mission with this DJ character and then... After the studio fired Daffy Duck, they retconned their decision to bring him back to the the, the studio because uh, Bugs Bunny, lo and behold, has no chemistry and the movie just doesn't work without Daffy. So uh, a, a studio executive has to go with Bugs Bunny to get Daffy Duck back to the studio or else she gets fired. So And the, the, the studio exec played by Jenna Elfman. So they go to on a road trip to Las. The two uh, duos go on a road trip to Las Vegas, where um, they have to they have to find a clue to where the diamond is. Uh, hilarity ensues. Uh, they completely destroy and trash a casino that is run by Yosemite Sam. And then they're wandering the desert. Wily e. Coyote tries and fails to ambush them with faulty Acme equipment. Um, which, that was a really funny scene. So they wind up in Area 51, which, Lyle, one of the reasons I wanted you to watch this movie for so long is because I knew you would get a kick out of two things. For one thing, there's a cute little joke with, um, the cartoon Shaggy and Scooby roasting alive, uh, Matthew Lillard, who played the live-action Shaggy in the, uh... 
in that uh, yeah. Razzie Award winning classic Scooby Doo. Written by James Gunn. Written by James Gunn, your boy. <laughs> My boy. Yeah, yes. no, th- I want you to watch it for that scene. I also thought you'd really get a kick out of the Area 51 scene. Because of all the aliens yeah. and the sci fi references. Oh, wait, sorry, let me correct myself. Area 52. Get it right. Yeah, sorry, because apparently the, the joke was, Area 51 is actually a paranoid fantasy we concocted to hide the true identity of this facility. Oh, which is Area 52. Well, and even the, even the movie acknowledges that was a lame joke. So, once they're done with, uh, once they're done, uh, you know, having hilarity ensues at Area 52, uh, they go to Paris because that's where the next clue is, and... Um, there's, you know, Pepe Le Pew wasn't canceled yet, but he's only in one, he's literally in, there. he is literally in two shots in the whole movie, and, uh, no harm done. <laughs> I so, don't like him. Yeah, I don't like him either. I've never liked him. Yeah, no, I don't understand why people are getting so mad at the fact that he's canceled. Mm. I mean, yeah, he's a pervy skunk. Uh, get rid of him, I don't care. Okay, so, the next thing is, so then, um... Once they get their next clue is in Africa and they actually find the blue monkey and it's basically a race to stop the Acme Corporation from basically using the diamond to take over the world. Of course! Is that a good joke to revise? Uh, It's been done. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Thanks, Channel Awesome. Okay, so the reason why I like this, why I think this movie is underrated. um, Well, first of all, Compared to space, I'm sorry to make so many comparisons to Space Jam, but the director of this film is the great Joe Dante, who yes. is famous for the Gremlins movies. Uh, Warner Brothers brings him on for Gremlins. Gremlins is a huge hit. They let they, as a result of Gremlins being a monster hit, they get, they let him do Gremlins too, and he's allowed to do whatever he wants on that movie because he's got full creative control because he has the credibility. Uh, what's truly sad about this experience is Joe Dante personally knew Chuck Jones, who is one of the creators of the Looney Tunes. He knew what these characters meant to Chuck Jones. He wanted to do them justice. And I think uh, at times he does because the voice acting that is done for the Looney Tunes is much better than Space Jam. The, 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 I've, I've, I've seen Space Jam probably 20 times in my life, and no matter how many times I watch Space Jam, the voice acting of the Looney Tunes always feels weird in that movie. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, Looney Tunes back in action, it's done much better. They actually sound like the Looney Tunes from the 50s, which is no more than I can ask for. But what works about this movie is... Um, the cast, first of all, you've got Brendan Fraser, you've got Jenna Elfman, you've got Joan Cusack, who is hilarious, and they depict the Acme Corporation, um, as, like, a company that's actually really evil, and guess who the CEO, the chairman of the Acme Corporation is played by? Steve Martin. Steve Martin being as over the top as possible. <laughs> yeah. He he. The the things that I remember from this movie because it's been a long time since I've seen it. It could almost deserve a rewatch for me. But I remember Steve Martin being so hilarious from how much he's just hamming it up and having fun, just playing just that over the top villain. I remember there was a scene where they were playing blackjack and Brent Fraser just kept saying, "Hit me, hit me, hit me." And then, like, I think Jeff, and then, and then, of course, there's like that celebrity uh, cameo with uh, NASCAR driver Jeff Gordon. 
Yeah, no, the, the scene yeah, you're talking... The scene, that's the, all I remember from it. The scene you're talking about is actually really funny because um, the clue that they need to find the diamond is a playing card, and uh, Foghorn Leghorn is a blackjack dealer, and then uh, he's like, Cards, sir, hit me. Don't, I say, don't you want to look at your cards first, son? Boy's about as sharp as a bowling ball. And then Yosemite Sam comes to the table because he wants the card too. It's like, no, 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 hit me, goddammit! And then he just, Foghorn Leghorn just takes a plank of wood and just clocks him. And, uh, yeah, that's, so that's, that's, uh, there's many funny jokes in this movie. Uh, the biggest laugh that I got out of this movie was the scene where Elmer Fudd chases Bugs and Daffy throughout the Louvre, and because they're cartoon characters, they jump in and out of famous paintings, and my favorite one is they jump into the Salvador Dali Droopy Clocks video, and uh, everything <laughs> just goes all droopy, and then it because it's about time, they, get, they turn into, they go into slow motion, and um, I, uh, Edward, uh, Elmer Fudd is like, stop, oh, And, <laughs> no, no, I, I just, I, I, for some reason, I love it when, uh, when I was a kid, and even now, like, I love it when, uh, characters, like, there's a technical gag where a character is in slow motion. So, that, that joke, um, had my brother and I, like, on our knees in the theater just laughing. And, uh, yeah, no, that, that was a really creative scene, and it's a really funny scene. Uh, Brendan Fraser is what makes this movie work, because I'm sorry to shit on Space Jam, but, okay, when Michael Jordan is interacting with the Looney Tunes, he's a fucking plank. Like, he's just there. When Brendan, <laughs> Fra okay, when Brendan Fraser interacts with the Looney Tunes, you believe everything is ha that is happening to him is happening to him. Like, when he strangles Daffy Duck... You believe it's really happening, and when Daffy Duck frickin' assaults him, you believe that he really felt that. Like, there's a scene... Do you remember the scene where, um, Daffy, you know, gives him a jump scare in his car, in his car? And it's like, I know this is a spy car because it looks absolutely nothing like a spy car. He just fucking punches him, and then, like, you believe that really happened. Um, yeah, with, it's a very authentic performance like, cause with, it also. Uh, it, it, superimposed characters. It also helps that Brendan Fraser is one of the most animated human beings ever to act. Like he, he, he this is a guy who played a real life cartoon character, George of the Jungle. Like he can do it. Um, yeah, he's very good at selling yeah. roles that most people would find super embarrassing or humiliating. He just takes it in stride. Yeah. There's also this. There's always a good quality about him in his yeah. whole career. There's also a really funny joke where I agree. Uh, there's also a really funny joke in this movie where he's talking to Daffy about, hey, you know, I'm not a security guard. That's just what I do for money. What I really do is I'm a stunt movie. Oh, no, I really am. You know those mummy movies? I'm in them more than Brendan Fraser is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, that's even before the third one came out, so that's pretty funny. Yeah. I will say this. Actually, yeah, Evan, I agree with you. This I like this movie a lot more in Space Jam. Because it actually feels like its its heart is in the right place. It is still rather messy at times, but it does hold together. I, I can tell Joe Dante wanted to make it. It was a shame what the studios did with him, though. Oh, we'll get to that in a second. In a but... second, but yeah, but yeah. Overall. Oh God, yeah, yeah. That's fucking bullshit. Uh, I wanted to. I didn't want to. I didn't want to take that segment away. But like, I almost don't want. It's funny that you guys actually say the movie is as watchable and as good as it is because it's kind of a shame that like we didn't get to see what the film could have been had 
they just left Joe Dante alone and just let him do his thing because because like I it was just heartening watching this uh, forty minute to forty five minute little video essay on YouTube uh, done by this channel uh, Royal Ocean Society where he actually goes into like detail on what happened during the production and the development of this movie. It is fucking bullshit. And I just can't believe and I just can't believe it ruined the the it ruined the the partnership between him and the studio system. Like he didn't want to make another he didn't want to make another Hollywood movie ever again. He's like fuck this, I'm out. The, I, I'm gonna get. I, I might as well just jump into that. Um, the re, what happened was, uh, he he basically busted his ass to make something great, and then the studio completely said, "No, you have to change the ending." So the ending we saw, while serviceable and a little funny, was nothing like the ending that we could have gotten. Now, full disclosure, if you have a copy of the DVD, you can watch the ending that Joe Dante had in mind. Uh, it's 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 part it's partially completed. It's not in its full version, but you can watch it. Watch that ending and then compare it to the ending we got in the movie and you be the judge as to which is better. But um mm. Uh, but yeah, one of the, the, one of the things I got really, that, uh, I do have to talk about, unfortunately, you know what, I'm just gonna get into it. The fate of this movie. This movie could have been huge, and it should have been huge. Uh, it's opening week, it, unfortunately, it came out in the dead of winter, November of 2003. Uh, its biggest box office competition at the time would have been Elf, which was just cleaning up every opening week, every weekend, uh, but from... You know, it's release date in early November to Lord of the Rings Return of the King uh, in the middle of December. So yeah, Elf was cleaning house. Uh, Looney Tunes back in action, very sadly, uh, bombed at the box office horribly when it has the greatest cartoon characters of all time. What the hell is wrong with people? So it bombs horribly. It bankrupts the entire animation wing at Warner Brothers, like the feature animation wing at Warner Brothers. And it causes Joe Dante to basically lose faith in the studio system, and he never made a studio film ever again. So it well, actually, well, I was gonna say also, it wasn't just the film's uh, box office failure that uh, caused that that uh, Warner Animation studio to go bankrupt. There was a lot of other ones that just kept like burning it down because they also did at the time. Uh, oh my God. Uh, uh, the uh, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, the Iron Giant. Even though it's a it's a great film, it didn't do well in the box office. Cats don't dance was a box office disaster. Quest for Camelot, Quest Cam for Quest of Quest for Camelot, Osmosis Jones. Yeah, yeah, another one. So it just a lot of these films were just really not like making bank at all. So Looney Tunes back in action was like the nail in that coffin. Yes. Yeah. yeah basically. basically. Yeah. So. Um... I, I personally uh, am really sad that people look back on Space Jam more than they look back on this movie, but it gives me some hope that uh, on Letterboxd, people are saying, yeah, this shit is better than Space Jam. And in YouTube comments on clips from the movie, people are saying, yeah, no, this is way better than Space Jam. Why don't people think... So maybe it's possible that this movie... This movie isn't even 20 years old yet, so maybe it uh, will attain cult status at some point or another and just be remembered for the way the Looney Tunes should be remembered. Um, beca because um, uh, one, of the, one of the last things I thought was really clever about it is um, 
it doesn't have all the Looney Tunes work together, uh, quite surprisingly. So I'll get this. All of the vil the villainous Looney Tunes or the antagonistic Looney Tunes are all employed by the Acme Corporation. Like Yosemite Sam uh, owns a casino in Las Vegas, but he works for the Acme Corporation. Uh, Wiley Coyote is given you know equipment from them to basically blow up the main characters, but the of course the rocket you know backfires on him literally. As always. And uh, Marvin the Martian, who is actually, <laughs> Marvin the Martian, who is critical to the third act, uh, is like the last uh, ditch effort that the Acme Corporation uses to uh, basically take over the world. Tasmanian Devil is completely wasted. I mean, for as for as decent as I think this movie is, Tasmanian Devil is completely wasted. Um, you know who's not wasted? Who? Marvin the Martian. Yeah, the, I was just saying that because yeah. he he literally is he's he is the third guy. They had to screw it up with Space Jam: A New Legacy. Uh, just for some reason, they just had, oh god, they just had such a hate boner for him. But this is the first movie where it's like. Damn, they really went all out with him. Yeah, he's all. I like Marvin the Martian. So someone, someone, someone once asked me, uh, "Hey, did you?" Uh, they we got on the conversation about Space Jam: A New Legacy, and I told them I watched it, and they said, "Like, oh, so what was it about? Like, what was it? Just the same movie like the first one?" I said, "Oh, uh, the movie's about um, buy get get HBO Max." Yeah, it's Ready Player One, but with Louis that was the plot. It, it was about. It was about. It was a. I said, hey, uh, just the plot was by HBO Max. Didn't you say at one Get time... Get our streaming service. Didn't you say at one time <laughs> that, like, Ralph Breaks the Internet was basically Disney's way of saying, buy Disney Plus one year from now? Yeah. Yes, and uh, Space Jam New Legacy is Get HBO Max. <laughs> um, but yeah, are there any closing thoughts? Yet? Closing thoughts on Looney Tunes back in action. Um... As a kid, uh, a quick personal note, my dad was raised on the Looney Tunes. Those were his go-to cartoons when he was a kid. So um, when he hears that there's a Looney Tunes movie in the theater and there's nothing else to see that particular weekend, uh, he and my brother and him go to the movies. And the theater, surprisingly, is not that full now that I can recall. So it was, it was, it was very em it was pretty empty uh now that i can remember and this was opening and this was like the opening saturday so we watched the movie now at the time when my dad took my brother and i to see family films uh he typically enjoyed them often as much as we did but he would laugh at the moments that were meant specifically for adults and if my brother and i ever laughed at the, at the jokes that the kids were meant to laugh at my dad would just kind of go mm -hmm. He wouldn't really say anything. When we, when my dad and my brother and I watched Looney Tunes back in action in the theater together, my dad was laughing at everything my brother and I were laughing at. If my brother and I laughed at something, he laughed too. So that was actually, it, it turned out, to, not only did it turn out to be one of the funniest movies I'd seen in the theater at the time, but it also is one of the fondest memories at the theater that I've seen with my dad. Very sadly, though, he's in the camp of people that doesn't really remember this movie. So if I were to t call him and tell him, "Hey, remember we saw that movie with the Looney, Tune Looney Tunes back in action?" Uh, he 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 might it might jog his memory a bit. But he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." Uh, what was that movie again? <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, so uh, at the at the time, uh, he he was laughing as hard as my brother and I were laughing at every scene we were laughing at. 
Um, and but what I thought was really clever about this movie is um, the plot is essentially the Looney Tune Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck get get roped into a spy plot. And I feel like that was a really good direction to take the movie because in the early 2000s, spy movies were, were the shit. Like, we, we talked about this earlier with uh, The Bourne Identity and uh, James Bond even in the late 90s uh, with Pierce Brosnan was making a comeback. Like, you had Goldeneye, you had Tomorrow Never Dies, and then in 2002 you had that joke, Die Another Day. But the point is, spy movies were all the rage, mm-hmm. and it made a lot of sense for the Looney Tunes to get involved in a spy plot, so I thought that was really clever. And the jokes they milk out of that work really well, too. So, But yeah, no, it's underrated because it has the greatest... It has the Looney Tunes, and no one remembers this movie, and no one talks about this movie. More people need to watch it, and more people need to appreciate it. I just think... I. I... I just think the timing of the film getting released was probably a bit bad because kids were probably into SpongeBob and other stuff like that. Like if Looney Tunes back in action had come out like like imagine this. Imagine if Joe Dante did it, it, instead of doing Small Soldiers in 1998, imagine he did Looney Tunes back in action. That would have been 2 years fresh off of the success of Space Jam. It could have actually done a little bit better because of that timing. Because I think the Looney Tunes were starting to kind of fade from rel- relevance of kids back then. So That's also another factor. But, Cody, you make an excellent point. And uh, just just so you know, Joe Dante wanted Looney Tunes back in action to be everything Space Jam wasn't. Basically, if Space Jam did this to the Looney Tunes, he wanted to do the opposite. Like, he saw Space Jam for what it was, a commercialized, you know bit of product placement uh that uh features the looney tunes no 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 he wanted this movie to have the looney tunes be front and center not just being another commercial and to, to prove that point there's even a joke where uh they're, they're in the desert and they see a mirage and the mirage is a walmart store and uh the joke and bugs, uh. bugs bunny says isn't a mirage or just product placement? And then Dabby's like, hey, who cares? We're shopping convenience at such low prices. And then in the next scene, it's like, um, nice for Walmart, nice for Walmart to pay us these, give us these Walmart beverages in return for us saying Walmart so many times. Like, haha, I see what you did there. Thank you. Um, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, no. Joe Dante, uh, detested Space Jam. He wanted Looney Tunes back in action to be everything Space Jam wasn't. So, uh, yeah, if he made it in 98 instead of Small Soldiers, it could have been the hit that it deserved to be. So, um, anyways, I I look forward to seeing that in an alternate reality of 1998. So, um, onward and upward, Lyle. How would you break down the last, these three movies you you talked about? Kind of like what Cody did. Oh, like, how would I break them down? Well, uh, it just occurred to me that I picked, uh, comedies. Um, I feel like there's, you know... I feel like, you know, that sometimes I'll laugh at something and I've been, I've, I've like been on dates, you know, where I've explained to, you know, my date why I think, uh, something is funny. And then like, if they, if she doesn't get it, like, I'll probably talk to her a little more, but it's like, you know, this, I found it funny because this is, this is going to be like, Oh yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> so I feel like, you know, if there's a joke that, I think is funny that other people, you know, don't really understand yet. I feel like me explaining like the heart and, you know, the logic behind the joke kind of, you know, gets people on board. And I was really relieved when, cause I, I honestly thought, you know, 
when you watched the movie final it took me a while you were hesitant to watch it because the first 10 minutes did nothing for you except for that one shaggy joke and then when you did watch you're like wow i'm really glad i watched this because i liked it more than both the space jams like and it's funnier too now it's not a perfect movie like i know i've been kind of praising this all over the wall but it's not a perfect it is a bit messy and disjointed but for what it's worth it's pretty solid so yeah uh how did i break down my three movies yeah like they're all comedies that i feel were either uh looney tunes back in action was a little behind its time thanks to as cody suggests death to smoochie was ahead of its time and uh dick was uh dick was behind its time too i mean like um, below dick was below the belt You owe us money. You owe us money. Where's that jar? Bitch, please, the money. Where's that jar? Where's that jar? Ka-ching. Where's that Ka-ching. jar? Here, send an e-transfer. <laughs> yeah, e-transfer. E-transfer money into a jar, and we will... That will atone for your terrible humor. So, Evan... So, so, Evan, so, Evan, is that all, folks? That's all, folks. <laughs> Okay, what do you close the last with? one? So I I kept this one very close to my chest because I I feel kind of bad tonight because you guys are talking about movies that we some of us haven't seen and I talked about movies that I actually showed the both of you and we have no idea what the fuck movie you're about to say so I'm like on the edge of my seat right now with anticipation. What is it? It's very close to my chest. So um, this is a okay. So I go on a lot of forums and I look at movies that are called like the weirdest films of all time. I found this massive list, and I put it on all my, uh, I, I highlighted it all on my letterbox account, and I wanted to check them out. Some are pretty great, others are kind of boring, but, um, one that I found, I, I, that I, I, I just absolutely was so enamored with it. Um, it's a movie from 2004, it is a Japanese film, it is called Survive Style 5, and it is, um... Probably one of the most unpredictable films I've ever seen, and yet I loved every minute of it. So, I can't really break down a plot, and there aren't too, too many details about it. It's a little bit obscure. But basically, I'm just going to list off a few things that happen in this movie. Bas- it, it's it, The way it's written, it's kind of like... So, wait, sorry, 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 sorry. Sorry to interrupt, it's Survive Style 5 Plus? Yeah, the plus is silent. <laughs> There you go. And, uh, okay, so okay. It's, it's kind of a storyline that's somewhat similar to something like Shortcuts by Robert Altman, where it's not like Go, where it's like it goes back and forth between a, 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 a concurrent timeline. It's simply a story that weaves these characters together organically as the film progresses. So these are the characters. We have a man who kills his wife Uh-oh. and buries her in the woods. But every time he comes back home, the wife appears. At a, like she's just right back where he found her, and she like beats the living fuck out of him. Wow. <laughs> and for and then like he just can't seem to get rid of her. He keeps killing her and burying her, but she keeps coming back, angrier than ever. And um, another one is a a, a suburban family goes to uh, an illusion show and the illusionist uh, hypnotizes the family man into believing he is he is a chicken 
and he must learn how to fly. And so the man's like, book, 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 book. But before he can reverse the spell, the guy dies on stage. So throughout the whole rest of the movie. Hey, 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 that's a ripoff of an old In Living Color sketch. Verbatim. Yeah, and it's also kind of like that Simpsons episode where Homer reloads his child. And it's like, I'm just a boy walking around the town with my friends. And look, there's a tunnel. Ah! Oh my god! The blunder years. years. That was the name of the episode. AKA, just... AKA the Stand By Me episode. Ah, here you go. Ah, ah, ah. Anyways, yeah. So he, because the hypnotist dies, this man's just stuck being a bird, like permanently, and the family has to cope with it. There's a group of 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 uh, thieves, like three teenage thieves, that just drive around stealing all day, and one of the thieves has a crush on the other thief. So anytime the thief uh, says, like, something, um, the other guy who has a crush on him says an innuendo. And this guy has the worst teeth I've ever seen on screen. He gives the toothiest grin. And this music comes in, like, come, baby, come, come, baby. Come, baby, come, come, baby. <laughs> and the guy just, the innuendo goes right over his head. He's like, oh, that was pretty funny, yeah. <laughs> so, and, um, oh my god. And then there's another lady. There's this lady who, um, is an ad... Is a, she's a advertising executive. And she makes... She... It, throughout the movie, she has these, like, moments where she'll just start blinking her eyes and a chiptune song would be like... It's like, a, it's like a light bulb goes off in her head. And she comes up with ads for uh, various companies and i'll give you an example the first one she comes up with is uh for a high-speed internet company so there's these marathon runners of the olympics they run onto the track they jump they each jump into a separate bed have sex with a woman and they finish too early and then the ad's like high-speed internet for everyone <laughs> <laughs> Okay, <laughs> so, I, 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 I gotta see this. This looks insanely fun. She she has the worst fucking ideas imaginable. And anytime she pitches an idea to a, a, a you know, a, a board, um, if they dislike her ideas, she, she, she murders them. Wow. <laughs> so she doesn't take criticism, and she comes up with some of the worst ideas imaginable. I don't know if that's a statement on Japanese commercialism, because they have some pretty bonkers ads. If you ever look at a compilation of Japanese ads, some of them can get pretty, either like kind of like oh, weird, yeah. or just flat out confusing. So I guess that's just a statement. Yeah, yeah. And, okay. <laughs> and yeah, then, no, those are, those are all over the place. And the last part of the movie that I think every one of us will enjoy... Vinnie Jones is in the movie. Oh. The Juggernaut. Yeah, I was about to say, uh, I'm I'm going through the trailer right now on mute, and uh, yeah, I was surprised to see that Vinnie Jones is in it. Vinnie Jones, who looks like he just came off the set of a Guy Ritchie movie and didn't know he wasn't in a Guy Ritchie movie. He's like this hit man who has this translator with him throughout the whole movie. And every person he comes in contact with he just comes up to them and goes, What is your function in life? It's like, and, and it gets intense sometimes. Like, he starts yelling, he's like, What is your function in life, bitch? 
<laughs> and the other one, they don't know how to react. It's a freak show. I really want to check this. And out. then uh, he encounters the the, the 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 criminals at one point. And he talks to the one of them. He's like, "Why? Why you a faggot?" And the other <laughs> guy's like, "No, I'm gay. Come, baby, come, come, oh, baby." Oh God. This sounds very unpredictable, and it is. But it's just two hours of things that you can't see happening a mile away with all these wonderfully eccentric character beats that often interact with one another with an ending that is so satisfying that I was, like, tearing up because, like, this is glorious. I found a movie that no one talks about <laughs> that really, like, people talk about, like, say, say, Houseu, you know, House, that, 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 that crazy uh, Toho movie that... It's a horror film set in a haunted house that goes balls to the wall insane and has so many freaking effects in it. It's kind of like that, but it's not It's not as insane. It's not as wild. It's a little bit more mannered. But um, a lot of people talk about Haosu, and not enough people talk about Survive Style 5. So I'm glad I found a forum that caters to my t- sensibilities, because this movie was right up my alley, and I'm really happy to share it with you guys. You guys seem on board already. I like that. Um... Yeah, no, I I like insane films that just have no sort of like consistent rhythm to it, but it's also just so intriguing how crazy and off like batshit crazy that it goes. And good and some good news, fellas, it's on YouTube for free. All two hours of it, Ooh, it's, it's okay. stream, so uh, it's easily accessible. I recommend anyone listening to at least you know watch it sometime. Um, it does have some slow parts, but the slow parts add up to an emotional curve later. So. It, it's it's very well tailored. I looked up the directory. They they the people who made this movie have not made very much. This is like their biggest thing, and everything else is kind of like too obscure. So it's kind of it's it's like I found a weird pocket where somewhere in in another country someone made this oddity of a movie, and I recommend you guys check out the trailer. I know Cody did just to get kind of a just a little sample of what you're into or what you're in for. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, I don't have too, too many details. There's not much on the Wiki page. There's not much on IMDb. It's just something you have to see to believe. So, I wanted to be vague. I didn't want you guys yeah. to get too, too much into it before I talked about it. But that's that's my uh, hat trick tonight. And looking back on my movies that I've talked about today, I either like movies with comprehensive storylines that can... Um, catch the audience off guard by interweaving like multiple lines of plot together seamlessly i love that there's another movie that does that that i might talk later in another episode of this we managed to talk about but i also like things that are weird (laughs) i'm i I, i'm a creep you don't say i'm a weirdo (laughs) and everyone's like what the hell are you watching here what the hell are you watching You don't belong here, because <laughs> this one belongs here. Yeah. Well, and and who's and who who's running out the door? <laughs> Survive style number five. Yeah, I don't know where we're going. <laughs> that's not that's not an obscure song. But anyways, um, yeah. Looking back on it, I I think. Uh, uh, I know the stuff I recommend to people doesn't always register with them. I have a bit of an odd taste, but um, I, I like movies that are different, and I like ones that really uh, stick out to me that have that are just brimming with personality and, and uh, 
fervent energy because it, it, it keeps my attention. Sometimes it can get a little exhausting. I've known movies that try way too hard to be weird. Michelle Gondry is kind of guilty of this sometimes where he puts all of his energy and weirdness into full display in the first 15 minutes. And then it just peters out and I, I lose interest very quickly. Not all of his movies. Like Eternal Sunshine, mm -hmm. excellent movie. But like some of his like more indie stuff just tries a little too hard, I feel. But um, yeah. Oh, by the way, I am waiting for the day that Red Letter Media covers Repo Man. I, Jay says this is one of his favorite movies. He said that in his Warriors review. And it's so up his alley because he loves punk music. He loves... He loves crazy movies. I think Mike's probably not going to join because it has. No oh line. yeah, totally. totally. Yeah, but like I, I'm waiting for the day. It's 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 it. it I, I it seems like a review that Jay and Josh are going to be in. Yeah, most likely Josh. Yeah, I, we haven't seen Jack in a while. I hope he's doing okay. But um. Yeah, he's doing alright. He he was just in the recent uh, Best of the Worst, but anyways, that's beside the point. <laughs> but yeah, I'm waiting for the day they do a review of Repo Man. I see it on their shelf every time it passes by. And I'm like, if I see it in my subscription, I will drop fucking everything and watch this, no matter how long it is. <laughs> I'm waiting for the day. It might not hold up to my best expectations, but that's life. <laughs> anyways. Yeah, you know, guys... Guys, this was actually, like, one of the better times that we've actually, like, shared stuff that we've actually loved. Because I, I love the films that I just recommended to you guys. And I hope some of my love kind of rubbed off on you guys. And I, because I, I felt the same way from you guys. You guys, you guys really, like, nicely recommended these to me. And I'm happy that I was, well, I'm, ha I'm happy that at least in high, like, like, I have seen, like, a few ones that you guys talk, talk about. But I also don't remember them or look at them as like fondly as you guys do. But I kind of felt like that love of, from you guys kind of like come to me as well. And this felt kind of like a nice recommendation of just like trying to get familiar, trying to get uh, like associated with stuff that I'm kind of familiar with. But then there's stuff that I'm like, hey, I have like I just have to watch this. I haven't seen this. This seems really enjoyable. Yeah, totally. I, I, I love the energy that came off of us yeah. tonight. I think uh, we this all, is good. each of our personalities shined a lot when we talked about what we were yeah. passionate about. Uh, dick energy is... Big dick energy. Big dick energy. <laughs> <laughs> Put the money in the jar. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. we're, uh, we're, we're horrible. I think that's what? a good note to end on tonight. Oh my god, we're making Kevin Smith run for his money with the amount of dick jokes we've been doing. We're creeping know. into deep fat fried territory because we're typically not this raunchy. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, boys will be boys. <laughs> Anyways, yes, absolutely right. Cody. No, no, boys will be respectful. Boys will be upstanding citizens of society. That too. That too. That's the new way. As it should be. Alright, boys. Uh, this was fun. Uh, I'm still, I, Cody, uh, I, I, you, I, I, thanks for the, thank, you threw me off my, you threw off my groove with that whole fucking Jack and Jill joke, because I was really trying to think, what's a movie that, you know, sticks, that feels like, you know how Repo Man was a movie that Lyle Fellow was made for him? I'm still, what, what about something like Toy Story? A movie that was made for me, uh, I'm trying, I'm gonna have to think really hard about that. There, there are a few, uh, there are a few, um... I'll think about that. Yeah. Post your post your, post a comment down below. What movie is your bag? 
What sort yeah. of thing is your bag, baby? Sure. <laughs> okay. Anyways, uh, that's all for tonight, folks. Um, we will see you next time. Yeah, take care, everyone. Hopefully, we're going to be talking about movies that either you never... Oh, no, I was about to say my catchphrase. We either equally love or equally hate. Sorry. <laughs> Hopefully, we're going to talk another time one day about films that you have probably never heard of. I hope so, too. All right, guys, take care. Oh, <laughs>